0: Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only 2 dollars That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm just here for the layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including... The Friday Debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee, and it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out, www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 37 of the Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. On today's episode, we have a guest coming back on the show. And I'm very excited because it's the first time I've invited a guest back. And if you have been listening to the podcasts, as you should be, you will know that my guest, Garen Wade, was on the podcast back on April 20th for episode number 17, which was called Joe and Garen Talk Adoption. Now, if you have not listened to that episode, I am going to ask you to stop listening to this one. Go back to April 20th, episode number 17. Download that, listen to that episode, and then come back. I'll wait a moment. all right, are we good? Perfect. Now you're all caught up. So I wanted to invite him back because I had gotten so much great feedback from that episode where people were like, oh my God, Garen's story is so incredible. I could watch it in a movie. And I was like, yeah, there's more to know about Mr. Garen Wade. And he came on the show to talk about it. And I want to say thank you, Garen. So Garen's on the show today. He is an air traffic controller. And we talked about his teenage years living in Jordan with his parents and his sister and his brother and what that was like. We talked about how they lived in the Gambia in West Africa and how they traveled across the Syrian desert because his parents were explorers and they were setting that up in their children's DNA. We also talked about a woman who found him on Facebook from the podcast episode number 17. and knew his mom when they were in high school, and they both would talk about how they wanted to join the Peace Corps, his mom, of course, joining the Peace Corps. We talked about the things he saw growing up in Sri Lanka, growing up in South Africa, growing up in Jordan, growing up in places we would never think we would grow up in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the incredible Garen Wade. I had so much fun when Corbin Stacy was on the show, and I called him, directly while we're recording so we're going to do that with my guest today so let's see how this goes let's see if he's ready to talk to me he better be he is i promise oh, i'm singing a song i'm waiting answer the phone garen <laughs> hey garen hey. wayne back on hey man the grounded <laughs> with flight attendant joe podcast how are you sir
1: I'm great, man. Thanks for inviting me back on. That's very, very kind of you. You
0: know. Well, it's really not. It's all calculated. I know when somebody's interesting and they're going to have a great story to share. I wouldn't have you on if you were boring (laughs) as fuck.
2: (laughs) You know. (laughs) Well,
0: well, you are the you are the first person that I've invited back. Wow, okay. And so Thank congratulations you. on that. No, it's because, well, I was just talking with Matt before I came in the office to to call you, and I was like, he doesn't even, Garen, what's so sweet about Garen is, he doesn't even realize how incredible his story is. And, what did Matt say? And he's like, well, you know what? Would you want somebody who thinks they're incredible? I said, no, I might as well have Donald Trump on the show. <laughs> well, he wouldn't do this show. Right, anyway. well, I don't think so. I don't think he would like you very much, (laughs) Joe. He would hate me, which makes (laughs) me feel so good. But we're not going to talk about him because I'm in a good mood today. So I'm excited to talk about you being back. And what's going on? How's life? You know, great. Honestly, it's been, I was trying to think right
1: before you called how long it's been. I'm going to say maybe six weeks. Has it been six weeks? About?
0: Since we talked last um, year? So you were on the episode. yeah. You were on the epi- number seventeen. Now you're going to be on episode number thirty-six. So there's been nineteen episodes. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was April twentieth. Oh, it was. Working f- hard. It- I have been working hard. Thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. <laughs> but you were on April twentieth. You were on four twenty. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Yeah. That's so um. Right. So now, um, yeah. So um. What's going on?
1: No. No, we've been great. You know what? The the sort of the blessing that I wasn't sure if it was a good idea, but it has happened. Is um, that the beaches here in in, uh, Fort Lauderdale have opened. And so I feel like I live at the beach with my kids and some of their friends. I mean, it's sort of, it's this incredible, um, it's an incredible gift of living here. And it's also, I realize that, like, how lucky we are. That is a lot of where I spend sometimes mornings and a lot of times watching the sunset. Um, It's a last night, in fact. So that's what I've been doing, a lot of that. And um, I'm not sure we talked about it last time, but I, uh, ever since we returned from South Africa, my son speaks Zulu and English and it was really important for us to try to keep Zulu like in his head, in his mouth, you know and just trying to like have it in our home. And so I think he's taking like three to
0: four Zulu classes a week. Um, which is intense. Oh you are are, it, you, it are you a long time? Are you and your husband doing this? No, please, Jamie can speak Zulu to say his life. No, um, he would, he would tell you that that
1: man took Spanish one four times. So this is not going to work
2: out.
0: He took Spanish um, one four times. That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's just me. So yeah. can you can you say can you say hello to everybody in Zulu or say hi, how are you or whatever? Say something. I need to. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Sanbonani, Sanbonani, Bangani, um, Minjani. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you? Um, I hope you're having a great day.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you. And congratulations on just. Well, you know what? This isn't a suburb. I am not, I should not be shocked at all that you would adopt a child from South Africa and then learn his language. That, uh, that's not shocking to me. That's not shocking to me. That's just, that's in your DNA. That's who you are. And that's why you're back today. We're going to talk more about your story and about your life. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to read something to you though. So after your episode aired, I got this amazing text message from someone who listens to the show. And I'm going to read you what he texted me. He wrote, just listen to the episode with Garen. And for, li- for ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, Garen was on episode number 17, April 20th. Joe and Garen talk adoption. Before you re- listen to this, stop now, go back and listen to that, and then you can go back in here. So, all right. He wrote, just listen, just listen to the episode with Garen. Absolutely phenomenal. Mark that down. Mark down that moment as the real turning point for your new career. Thank you. But, um, this isn't about me, but I'll take it. You're seriously killing it again. Thank you. And then he wrote also, I would absolutely watch a movie of Garen's life. Absolutely fascinating and crazy inspiring. Oh, wow. So that is what your story does. It inspires people and it's in, it's very interesting. So. What do you think about that? What, well, what 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 runs through your head when I read that to you about someone who you don't even know thinks you're inspiring?
1: I God, I, I don't even really know where to start. I mean, I guess I think what, when you read it, what I thought was I'm so happy that the stories I've told about my travels, my life around the world have resonated with people through America because that's sort of always been you know, a little bit like I'm unsure of whether talking about this because I've told you this before, like when they're talking about these stories is even gonna be relevant to anyone. Like is anyone gonna even listen or care? You know, and I'm just I really am. I'm happy that people care and that maybe maybe I bring about a different side of, of a conversation that they never have.
0: I agree. Listen, we're having some technical difficulties. You sound like you're underwater. So uh-oh. Yeah. So I'm going to pause this for a moment, and then I'm going to call you on the other on the WhatsApp. Okay. Okay. So you're you're too important to be to to not be heard clearly. So hold on one second. Yeah. All right, we're calling him back. See if this sounds better. Hey. Oh, any better? Yeah, this does sound better. It sounds better. Before it sounded like your husband was trying to smother you. Like, don't mention my name again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can promise you. That is not
0: happening. <laughs> That's hilarious. But um, no, I, and I'm sorry I had to cut you off on that. And I didn't even hear the last part of what you had said regarding what does it make you, how do you feel when someone who is a complete stranger listens to your story and is inspired by it?
1: I feel, I feel grateful. You know, honestly, I feel grateful because what I was saying is that I, I'm not, I'm never sure if when talking about my experiences, living and traveling around the world at such a young age, and what it's brought me in terms of you know my my life at this time, um, whether it's going to connect with people in like here in the U.S., um, I'm never sure if they're going to care. And um, you know it's that weird thing like when people say to my husband like if we are going to meet new people, and they say to my husband like hey James Jamie, where are you from? They're like oh upstate New York, and they'll we'll say where are you from? <laughs> and I mean, like it's honestly the question I dread the most because. And it's such a common one. But there's not really a great answer. I mean, I think my quickest is, like, I was adopted from Sri Lanka. My parents are American from Louisiana. I grew up largely in Africa and the Middle East. But it's, like, such a weird, I think they just look at you like, oh, my God. That's, like, there's <laughs> too much information right off the
0: bat. But I also don't know how to just say, I'm
1: from here. Like, that's not even real either.
0: <laughs> would I'm you, grateful. Would, have you ever done that, though, just to save all that explanation? Have you ever said, oh, you know, I'm... I'm from Washington DC or anything, or do you always hold true to who you really are and say, "Well, I'm from here," and then I lived there, and now I'm here.
1: I, I've always told the truth because it just doesn't even feel right. It feels like I'm lying if I just say I'm from DC or if I'm, I'm from Lauderdale, or you know that just doesn't even sit right with me. Um, yeah.
0: So. There in America, have you ever noticed that in the United States? P, you know people want to people how do I say this? I might as just rip the Band-Aid off. People in the United States want other nations to make them feel comfortable. It's almost like they want you, you come here and they want you they want you to make them feel safe and comfortable. And we're going through that right now in in the country with white people who want, you know, where they're almost making it black people's responsibility to make them feel better. And that's not the case. And Mm -hmm. so when you're, when you share that with me, the first thing I think of is someone who moves from like an Asian country that has a very hard name to pronounce, instead of trying to learn how to pronounce it, they'll say, all right, your name now is Stephanie, because I can't pronounce that other thing. And you're an America. Right. you're in the United States now. So now you're going to do what we say. So I love that you hold true to who you really are. And I appreciate that. Oh,
1: thanks. Well, I think it's my only choice. <laughs> well, I no. don't know that I have another.
0: Well, you could, you could say, oh, you know, I'm from Washington, D.C. or wherever you spent most of your life or, oh, you know, I'm, I'm Southern Louisiana or whatever. You could say something, you know, that would make people feel comfortable Or make people say, oh, he's one of us. But you are one of us. But you say, no, no, I'm from here, 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 and here. And I'm sure it, at some point, has just boggled people's minds. Yeah,
1: I think um, there's definitely that element. And I also think that, you know, there's sort of this interesting phenomenon that goes on here, at least in the U.S., that I can see. I've worked here for 16 years now. Is that um, when you maybe look the way I do, which is, you know, I'm as you might know from the previous podcast or some listeners may know, like adopted from Sri Lanka, there's not that many Sri Lankans in the United States. So I also look very different maybe than other people, you know? And, um, and so I think the question, like, where are you from? It's not really, you're not saying like, where did you grow up? The question is more like, why do you look way you look? Which is it, it's a completely different question than let's say my, you know, tall white husband is getting when there's like, Hey, where are you from? Like, where did you grow up? Um, because they're they're truly asking, and I don't mean it. I don't think it's in a, a mean way at all. And sometimes I think it can actually be in quite a good way. But they're saying like, "You look so different." <laughs> I know. Like, why are you? Where are you? You know, where, where are you from? You know, so, right. so it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah.
0: And you you do have an incredible story. You were you were born in Sri Lanka. Your Southern Louisiana parents were there. I I, I said many jokes in the last episode that your mom was teaching missionary position to people around the world. We're going to get to that in a minute, but. <laughs> you know you lived all over the world and after we ended our episode it was like the next day i was like i'm gonna have to have him back on no i'm lying to you what happened was i learned from you that your mom had passed away did you just burp on my podcast <laughs>
1: sorry oh my god <laughs> i'm like you what know is what? wrong I'm with you I'm t- I, I'm an
2: accident <laughs> i am
0: taking all this back i'm taking inspiration <laughs> my ass <laughs>
2: <laughs> holy you shit.
1: well can i do be remember last a, time the you know last time how you were like garen why do you keep clearing your throat like like did you not bring water this time i have this jug of water next to me and of course it's worked the exact opposite way so sorry to everybody <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> okay. to everybody
0: oh well you should be apologizing to me but it's okay <laughs> Don't- You can burp. I still think you're fascinating, but you've lived all over the world. And for some reason, I had, I did not know that your mom had passed away. And I said this, I'm going to share this clip from our last episode. And then we'll talk about, I want to definitely talk about your mom, but let me share this clip real quick. Sure. She was a what? Um, I'm sorry. She was a what? She was a sex ed teacher, sexual (laughs) education teacher. Are you for real? Oh, was she, was she teaching like, you know, here you use a condom. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. She was teaching biology and she was teaching sex ed to young South
1: Africans who were, you know, um, young adults. Yeah. So I laughed because, you know, my parents were, my parents were sort of this. Uh, really an anomaly. I mean, they were a football player and almost like cheerleader type from South Louisiana who then, once they got together, decided that they were going to move to Africa and the Peace Corps. They moved to Botswana. And they like just got, dove into this life that was a complete reversal of their entire upbringing. And they were sort of hippies. They were very liberal. They were, you know, so just when you said missionary, I was like, no, they were like probably completely opposite
0: of. No, she was um, teaching missionary position to South Africa. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> she was right. a missionary position yeah. educator. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. I don't mean to disrespect yeah. your mom. Oh, She's like please, an angel for it. God's sake. Come on. I love it. I love. It. <laughs> and the, the interesting part about that is when I said that, I thought she was still alive. Ah, okay, so oh, yeah, man. I did not know I would probably have not said that joke or thought about that if if she was a- al- if she had passed away, and that's the funniest part about it is I would rather have her hear that if she was alive than say that joke, knowing that she had passed away but she she is when did she pass away, and can you share that story because I am ignorant to it?
1: sure, so first, let me say I'm happy that you didn't know so that you could make that joke because you know I think you're extraordinarily funny. So um and I got feedback from people really around the world that pointed to that moment that you just played and people said I just couldn't
0: stop laughing at the missionary joke.
1: Are you so, serious? You yeah, have you have an audience in, you know, many places. Well um, I'm
0: glad that well no, I'm glad that they thought that was funny and um yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, sure. You know,
1: um it's yeah, it's the first time I've ever spoken about it really publicly, but it's in 2001, my sister was getting ready to graduate from the American Community School in Amman, Jordan. And we had lived there since 1998. And my mom was having some problems. She was, um, you know, with like her gallbladder, and she was quite uncomfortable. And she decided that prior to April or May, whenever my sister was graduating, that she would go and... Um, Get her gallbladder removed. It's a very easy surgery. It's, a, it's a kind of a common surgery, really. And so, um, you know, they did their homework and they found a doctor a surgeon in, in uh, the Mons Surgical Hospital in Jordan um, who had done this many times, I believe over 2,000 times, and uh, had sort of a great track record. And so she said, I just want to get this done so I can feel great for your sister's graduation and the summer that follows and taking her to college. And we were all, you know, I mean, as a kid, you don't really think about anything other than like your parents made a decision. And so it must be a good one or this is going to work out. There wasn't really any conversation about it. Just hope you're doing well. We'll help you through this. And it doesn't seem like recovery is going to be super long. And then um, she went in for the surgery. And while she was in surgery, the surgeon perforated her small intestine and didn't know it. Um, you know, she was in recovery, but, you know, an immense amount of pain. We visited her at the hospital. That was the last time I ever saw her alive. And she was, you know, she had like a very high pain tolerance, but I could see that something was deeply wrong. And, um, she also, you know, her background was in nursing, nursing and teaching. So I think she was well aware that something was very wrong. They took her back into surgery to see what happened the surgeon realized that he had previously perforated her intestine and that she was leaking, you know, toxic waste into her body, had been. Uh, She ended up in ICU that night and she died later that morning. And it was, it it was like, I don't know, Joe, it's still like just is unreal. I mean, it's to have, I was 14. And what happened was that early that morning, I had chosen that night to sleep in my mom's bed with my little brother who at the time was 10 and my dad spent the night at ICU and he came into the house that morning early. We were having breakfast, getting ready to go to school and he just kind of waved at us like, come here guys. And I thought, Oh, good. Like, good. We're going to get an update on on, my mom, on mom. And so we made our way to the living room and he told us to call our sister. We got her and we sat there and then he just, you know, like, burst out crying really and said you guys your mom died and it was yeah it was it's you know it's over 20 years it's even hard for me to talk about I mean it's it's something that is so uh, sounds silly to say life-changing but in that moment your life changes forever and um and it will never be the same and there's no getting over it. it people don't get over that you know they just live with it um yeah it was hard it was really hard and it was um I just don't know what to say about it. I mean, it's was, it was, it was terrible. It's totally devastating to our family. And it was at a time, you know, that was 2001 that she died. So this was at a sort of a critical point in the politics of the world, and specifically in the Middle East. Because if you think about it, that was April 2001. And then just, what, a couple of months, September 11th will have happened. And that kind of set us on a trajectory as a family of deep instability, I would say. Um. Yeah, you know, not having the parent that probably emotionally I was closest with, and my dad is will be listening to this podcast. He loved the last episode, by the way, and you know he knows I love him so much. But growing up, my mother was more the one who was the emotionally emotionally. I don't say available, but like really the day in day out like caretaker of us, you know, because he was busy sure. working, sustaining the family, and did an amazing job. Um. Yeah, so it was hard on us. It was hard on all of us, and. Yeah, the next couple of months, you know, led into September 11th and an evacuation from the Middle East thereafter. And doing that all without her was extremely, extremely difficult.
0: So, first of all, I want to say I, I'm sorry that you lost your mom at such a young age. That. Thank you that does change your life. So when you said, you know, and when I talk to you and you're sharing the story, I hear the pain in your voice, but you also tell the story kind of like you're still in shock about it, which makes sense. Because yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just something where oh, you know, mom has terminal cancer and she might not make it. It was mom has gallbladder, it has to have her gallbladder out. You know, you know that happens I can probably thousands and thousands of times a day. Right. So it's, it's a shock to your system and to your family. And shout out to your dad, Steve Wade, because he is incredible. I mean, just right there. He is. Hi, he dad. Is. I hope
1: we talk about him later.
0: Hey, dad. Hi, dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because he, he said, he actually said after the last episode, he said, and that guy, Joe, uh, he sounds like a character. I would love to meet him. And oh. I said, well, you will at some point. <laughs> I'm
0: sure. <laughs> well, he's good. With, he's, he's good at picking it out because I'm definitely a character. But, you know, how did, did, like, did you go to school that day? How long does it take for, when you tragically lose a parent, how long does so, yeah, it take to get back into life?
1: Um, my God. I mean, here's what happens. I'll just walk you through it. Yeah. Um, that, it's very customary in the Middle East for when uh, someone dies in your family. The entire, everybody shows up at your home um, to bring food, to give you hugs and kisses. Be there with you. Um, That worked really well for me because I love people. My sister, on the other hand, who, (laughs) she looks so cute. I'm not, it's not that she doesn't love people, but she's very much an introvert. I think it was hard for her to deal with that custom, you know, that maybe you wouldn't have in the United States. When I say everyone shows up, I mean, you might have 47 cars parked outside your house. And uh, people came from the time that she died. She died at about, I believe, five, maybe six in the morning. My brother and I opted to go to the hospital to see her one last time. So I did actually see her. Um, that was in itself like, you, you
0: know, dead bodies
1: in real life. Let me yeah, ask no, okay.
0: you, let me ask you, did you make that decision yourself? Did your dad ask you like, do you want to go see her? Or did you say, I want to go see her because I want to make sure this is real?
1: No, he said, you know, your mother's body will eventually be flown back to the United States. We're all going back to the United States. but do you want to go see her one more time? And I I immediately said yes. And actually my brother and I did, and my sister chose not to. Um, Which, you know, we've talked about over the years. Like it's hard for me to understand how someone wouldn't want to one last time. But that's that's, I I love her and of course that's her choice. It's just interesting that people can sort of grieve in that moment so differently. Do you know what I
2: mean?
0: Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people don't want to see the body because they don't want to remember their loved one in that state.
1: Mm -hmm. That's absolutely possible,
0: yeah. Yeah. Or they just can't deal with it. I mean that's a, right. that's, that's true. I never saw my mom's body. She could still be alive. She probably would do that just to fuck with me. She probably lives down the street. <laughs> She's probably the one sending me hate emails every day. Bitch, I know you're alive. I should probably listen to this fucking episode. No. Um but I didn't see You know I have to I have to make light of a heavy situation. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't see my mom's body either. She um I was probably about an hour and a half away and I was working and I was getting ready to go visit her. And as I was getting up from my desk, the call came and they were like, you know, we're very sorry your mom passed away. And I'm, the first thing I said was, are you sure? But I never got to see her body either. So, but it wasn't my choice. It kind of just happened. But I um, I understand, I, I can understand why your sister would make that decision. But I also understand why you guys made yours to go see her. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to our personalities, and you know, so that morning we um, actually we went downstairs, and it might this is how weird that my life was. I think it's just so strange. But my our basically our best friends growing up, and the people my parents were, you know, very close to was the um, EU ambassador, the East Coast, the European Union High Commissioner to Jordan, it's like the ambassador to Jordan, a representative of the European Union, and he was standing outside the door with his driver and. Oh, I think there may be, maybe there was someone else, but we jumped in the back of their car and um, they drove us through the city to the hospital. And, um, you know, she was, his wife was waiting there as we got in and, um, you know, we just kissed her goodbye. It was extremely surreal. I'm so happy I did it. And, um, you know, it was that, that very, I'm sure for people that have gone through it, you just stare at them. Like <laughs> wake up, you know, it's like, it's just impossible to really even verbalize. It. But that was, yeah, that was the last time I saw her. And, yeah, I said what I think most people would say, which is, you know, I love you. Thank you for everything. And in the context of the greater story of, of my life, I mean, this woman <laughs> like, really, really was my hero. I mean, <laughs> finding me in this malnutrition center in Sri Lanka and bringing me around the world. I mean, it just was without her, it would have been completely impossible.
0: You know, it, like I said, in that, in that clip I shared, and I called her an angel, I didn't know. No. It, it's so weird that those were the words I used, and I had no idea that she had passed away. And, you know, I don't believe in angels. Um, but I do believe that when people pass away, they still there's a part of them that stays with you. And mm-hmm. um, so it, that kind of makes sense that she's been watching over you. She's really some – Nikki Wade – She's really, she's really someone that even though she's gone she can, your story her story living through you is still inspiring. Um and there's so much more I want to ask you about this. So the so she goes in the hospital for the gallbladder removal. They they nick her intestine. She's she passes away. What does the doc, what happens with your dad and the doctor like uh, does the doctor like, oops, or how, you know, what's the rules in Jordan for like suing for malpractice?
1: You know, I, it's funny. I almost couldn't talk about it with him in detail for so many years because I knew for both of us, it was too painful. And then one, maybe three years ago he was here in, at our home in Lauderdale. And I just said to him, I was like, I'd love to revisit that night because there's so much I don't know. And, and I had never, I didn't know for like 15 years or so that, um, yeah, that he said that that night when he was at ICU, he was sleeping outside of the ICU. You know, i plant sleeping, but like on a couch, on a sofa with a jo- with a window, and he could see my mom. He could see my mom, and he said that when her body, her vitals started crashing that they um, went into uh, like with defibrillators and trying mm-hmm. to restart her heart. Right, and he said he watched, like he could hear people running in and seeing the alarms, and he watched the whole thing. And then when it was over. He said the you know doctor walked out and he just said, you just killed my wife. Because at that point they had known what had happened. You know, Oh, they did. Um, yeah, at that okay. point they had known, right? Yeah. And so he, he said he thought about it and perhaps if this had happened in the United States, there, of course, would have been like a medical malpractice suit that would have followed. But I, it's quite different in the Middle East and, you know, the court systems are so different that he just felt like, you know what? Nothing's going to bring her back. Why entangle our family in this very long, drawn out, possibly not reliable court system? And he just sort of walked away from it. And I, I think it's a good thing. You know, nothing good would have come of that. I don't think. So you don't think holding
0: holding the doctor accountable would anything would have came good from that?
1: Well, I think if he is um, penalized in his own profession in some form, however that might happen, sure. But in terms of us, basically what you're talking about is getting money from the situation. I just don't, I don't know. That just didn't really, it, uh, that doesn't change anything for me. You know, for me, I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Do I hope that he was held accountable? Sure. I mean, I hope that something happened. It would be the same way that, as if I, and you, know, you know, I'm an air traffic controller, if I crashed an airplane. I mean, Jesus. I'm liable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I can understand, actually, now having been an air traffic controller for the united states for 10 years it's like you know the risk of that job every single day um and you you work with it Uh, i don't know what happened to him but i also and this is probably the most interesting thing i've never wanted to know who he was see a picture of him know his name it's like almost too hard for me (laughs) it's weird because of course i could find that probably in an hour if i tried but i just have always for almost twenty years kept it away. Like no interest in knowing.
0: No um, interest in knowing who the doctor was or what happened correct. to him. And correct. let me let me let me correct myself. When I was talking about like malpractice, I probably used that word, which does mean you get money, but you know, I, I think th- I think people in the United States are sue happy, so I'm not I'm not on board with just suing for suing reasons. But I was more concerned about was this person who took your mom's life from because of negligence was he held accountable? That was mm. that was that was the meat of my question. Um, sure. You know, did what like was he held accountable? I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I-
1: yeah, well, I think it's a very natural next. You know, that's kind of what people say. Like, what happened to him? And the answer is, I, I, I don't know, and I probably will never know. Um, it's, it's sad. It's just what it is. It's sad. I mean,
0: it is sad. It's, um, you know, in the United States, that so, guy would have probably um, had his license taken away. Let me ask you this: What if it would have been the other way around? How do you think things would have gone? if it was your dad who had passed away and your mom was there to come in the house and to tell you that your dad had passed away? Um, It's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. How would it have been different?
1: Um, God, I mean, I guess in the sense that because we were living in Jordan, because of my father's job, we would have definitely had to leave and move back to the United States. And all the sort of uncertainty that would have come with now the primary breadwinner of your family no longer being around. You know, what 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 would that have meant for our mom having to sort of try to find work in the U.S. and after living such a long life outside of it? And I don't know, man. It's just so hard. It's like, it's it's hard to know if that would have, how that would have changed our whole life. And I'm, it's entirely possible that it would have changed everything, you know? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Great question.
0: So, and the question was leading because it kind of, I wanted to understand what it would be like. And you you answered it exactly like I, I expected. Like, what would it be like for a mom, a woman in Jordan with three children and now her husband's gone and they were there for your dad's job. Am I correct? Correct. So, and, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm one of those people, and this is going to sound terrible, but I don't know enough about the Middle East. Um, It kind of makes me nervous a little bit because I, I know some countries in the Middle East like to kill gay people or they think it's Mm -hmm. still illegal and I'm not going to go anywhere where I'm going to be killed because I'm, you know, eating lunch with a dude or something, but. and, And that could just be the United States of America mentality of the Middle East. But I was curious about that. Now, You had said you guys moved away anyway. Was it because of 9-11, or was it right after your mom's death?
1: So, no, this was kind of an interesting trajectory of events. So my mom died in April of 2001. September 2001 happened, and of course, that in itself was quite interesting. I mean, my father at that point had taken my sister to the University of Chicago, and they were away, and um, they were away when it happened and my brother and I were basically alone and we had people watching over us in Jordan but the reaction on September 11th in Jordan was parades in the street so you can imagine how isolating that felt to feel like this devastating devastating thing has happened to the country of which you are from and yet you're so far away that there's parades because people are happy that the United States has been attacked
0: Oh, Um, so for so you know, when you first said parades, my mind went to oh, was it a national holiday? But then it quickly switched over to oh, these were so there were actual parades in the street because the United States was attacked,
1: correct? And not like I want to be clear, like not like state sanctioned parades, not like an organized event, but people cheering. You could hear, you know, it was odd, you could hear people cheering outside of. Homes And, you know, that goes back to what is an extremely complicated issue, which is, you know, 70, I believe, percent of Jordanians are Palestinian, many, most of which are refugees who were, because of, you know, Israel, Israel's um, policy of taking over more and more territory, forced Palestinians to flee into Jordan. And, you know, the world does recognize that the reason that Israel is able to sustain itself in the Middle East in uh, the way that it does is because of U.S. financial backing and military backing. So it was a reaction to, um, you know, what they feel has been done very wrong to them by Israel, backed by the United States, and now here the United States has taken a hit, and it was a reaction to that.
0: So, can you take me to those days when you're what, like fourteen, fifteen? Well, September eleventh. 2001, you're probably still 14 because your birthday's in November, right?
2: Mm-hmm, so correct. you yeah. and
0: your brother's, what, 10? Mm-hmm, yeah, and who's yeah. watching you guys?
1: So we had a nanny. We actually had a Manny, a male Manny. His name's Siraj, and I love him. I'm still with the friends with him. Siraj, he was watching us. Um, but that day, actually, do you remember that? Remember I told you how when my mom died that the, um, the ambassador to the European Union was the one who came to kind of pick us up that morning? Right. I was actually at his home because we were such good friends with him. I had just come back from school. You have to imagine, like September 11th happening at what eight something, between eight and nine in the morning, right in the U.S. Eastern Standard Time, right. and then you're going like some seven hours into the afternoon. So we had just come back from school, and that day I so happened to be going to their home, um, to their, to the residence, right to their home, and so um, I walked in just as the second aircraft was going, just as the um, aircraft was going into the second tower. Um, and you know, that was sort of the realization of the entire thing.
0: Uh, and you're, you're in Jordan and your dad and your sister are in Chicago. Your mom's passed away and you're just there with your 10 year old brother. Like, excuse my language. What the fuck is happening? People are cheering in the streets and my parents are there. My dad's there. Yeah, not, a, not in the streets. Yeah, he was in Chicago, not in the yeah. <laughs> streets. Yeah. Let's let's yeah, clarify yeah, exactly. that. <laughs> right,
1: like what you know, what had happened, and honestly, they had been in New York the two days before, but I didn't know their schedule in the U.S., so I wasn't sure if he was in New York or Chicago. Um, yeah, it it was a really weird time, you know, and I felt like in that moment felt like a parent to my brother for the first time, and trying to figure out like, wow, what's going to happen with the world? I mean, mm, right. you know. <laughs> It was such a momentous, um, momentous. I it was such a huge moment in the
0: world, right? Oh, for everyone, yeah. Just for for yeah. the for the world, you know, yeah. um, not just for the United States, but it 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 was really a changing a changing force on the planet. Now, you right. had said when your mom passed away, like fifty people come to your house. Do you know all these fifty people, or do people find out people pass away and then they come?
1: No, I knew all of them. Okay. I mean, it was basically my dad's coworkers, my mom's friends, their friends jointly, and then people, all my friends from school.
0: Um, what did they know you were guy? You guys were Americans, you're from the United States. Yeah. Now, yeah. Did, was there ever a? Did you ever have a fear? You're sitting there in in this house with your brother. Your dad's not around. People are. Cheering in the streets. Are you like, oh my god, I'm scared because I'm from the place they're cheering, and they're happy that that place has just been, you know, attacked.
1: Well, you know, I wasn't scared because um because my friends were all like from the American International School there, so they were, they actually weren't many of them weren't American, but they were attending oh, that school, so okay. it was never any level of fear about that. But then you know, moving around, no, because again, because I'm adopted from Sri Lanka, it's like no one looks at me and thinks I'm American there. No one looks at me. and thinks so I'm American. There, you know. Um, so, I, no, there wasn't any of that really. It was just trying to see like what, what, what would the next steps be. Um, uh, uh.
0: So you, and then so you guys, did your dad and dad come back to Jordan and say, pack up, we're leaving?
2: <laughs> no,
1: it worked out. So you know, right after she died, within within 24 hours, me, my sister, my brother flew to Germany, and from Germany we connected on to Washington, and from Washington we connected on to. Louisiana just the three of us we were all very young um and my dad stayed back to bring my mom's body home and um we went to Louisiana to her parents house to our grandparents home and that's where we you know he eventually made his way there with her body so we had the first funeral and then I don't know within maybe three weeks we went back to the Middle East had a funeral there for everyone that knew and loved her there in the Mount Jordan and um you know, then September 11th happened. That that kind of sparks this whole, I think what you're getting at is, like, what happened thereafter? Is that what you're supposed to say? Like, what happened thereafter? Um, did we have right. to leave immediately, or did we stay? Is that what you're asking, Joe? Yeah,
0: I was asking, like, when your mom passed away, did you guys move away right away? But it was not until after nine eleven that you guys decided to come back to the States. And was it because of nine eleven, 11 or was it for reasons of, we're just going to get out of the Middle East now?
1: No, so it actually doesn't, it goes like this. 2011... Uh, sorry, yeah, 9-11 in 2001 happened. Um, the political climate there at the time was like, what, what do we do? How does this go? Um, in 2002, my dad's colleague, his name uh, is Larry Foley, pretty well publicized story. He was uh, working for the USAID mission there, the United States Agency for International Development. He was uh, murdered outside of his home in the morning on the way to work by uh, an Al-Qaeda operative. And that was sort of the second a series of crazy events that happened. In fact, Larry Foley's wife, Virginia Foley, after our mom died, she was our grief counselor. So I knew her in that context. She came to our home. She spoke with us. She was a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and just a year later, her husband was uh, executed, was murdered. And so that day, um, just as I said, everyone came to my home when my mother died. We all went to their home. And it was extremely strange. You know, I mean, we could see the remnants of his, of his blood in their driveway, and making our way into their home to see her. I mean, basically, the only other time I saw her was when she was acting as a counselor to us. And then to be a year later in her home, she suffered this massive loss. Um, you know, her husband was basically shot by two operatives who uh, I believe the entire plot was sort of um, the brainchild of I believe it was Abu Musab al-Zakawi, who is who was a very, very close associate of Osama bin Laden. I mean they were Al Qaeda operatives basically. Uh, Abu Musab al Zakari was later killed in an American airstrike in Iraq in two thousand six. So um, you know that was two thousand two he died. That put in even more sort of unknowns into the viability of Americans living into the Middle East. And then in two thousand three when the United States invaded Iraq, we were forced. There was a mandatory evacuation of all American families. And we're forced to to leave and, and temporarily move back to
0: the United States. Wow. And you tell me, oh, my story's not interesting. I should get on an airplane, fly to Fort Lauderdale, and slap you, fly back, and then hit record and continue this conversation. <laughs> so that must have been quite a shock to your dad's system, too. Because I, I, what I believe is, and I'm probably wrong, but I do believe— and correct me, of course, if I'm wrong, like the Taliban, Al Qaeda, they search or they look for white, whether you're American or you're, you're French or whatever, and you're working in that country and they kind of target you. Is, is that a good, is that pretty accurate? Sure,
1: absolutely. Especially okay. people that they perceive to be working on behalf of the American government in some capacity in countries where they feel they can, you know, sort of create a plot to, to
0: murder people, yeah. Do you think – let me ask you this, and this is just assumption, but, you know, I'm curious. I wonder if your dad's name was ever on a list for them to get to, for them to target.
1: Yeah, actually, he, he – I can't really get into all that, but no. yeah, in later years, he, he was actually uh, – he found out that his name was on a list. So, wow. Um, yeah, it, it's actually been – I will say this. I have worried for years, Joe, uh, that my dad would – sort of meet the end of his life in this sort of way because of the type of work he did and because of the countries he lived in. And many years later when he lived in, uh, I don't actually want to say the country. No, uh, don't, don't, it's okay. On the country, yeah, that he, he did, um, he was living in a home. He had a, a, he had a security team living with him Mm. because it was quite a dangerous situation. And he, uh, it was, it was actually printed in their press that he was, um, in Israeli, um, like an, a Mossad agent, which is the Israeli sort of a special agent, which is untrue. He's not, and he's an American citizen, and he was working there in a very different capacity. But it forced him to have to flee the country after it was discovered that this kind of, um, you know, press was being actually published out there for the public to see. Because of course, that's wow. what, like the dream is to like kill an Israeli secret agent. Oh, <laughs> so,
0: okay.
1: yeah we we've, we've been through. It. I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So. Let's get off your dad for a moment let so you guys go to Southern Louisiana for your mom's funeral and mm-hmm. from what I learned in our last conversation, your grandparents were raging racists
1: <laughs> well very yeah I would say like I would say that was definitely something that would they would have never described themselves as but clearly we know
0: yes. Well, yeah. All, if you ask a racist if they're racist, they say no. It's <laughs> just the way. Well, I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of videos lately where women are on rec- white. It's always white women for some reason. I don't know why. But I've been watching a lot of videos where white women are being recorded, and they're not even they're not even backing down from from being racist. They're like, yeah, you've made me this way. So it's crazy. So, but so I'm curious about. You know, you guys come back. I, was there ever like where your grandmother blamed like your dad for bringing her to these places that might she might not be dead if she lived in the United States? And I'm not saying that to, I'm not saying, I love your dad. I don't know him. And I'm not blaming him, of course. But I'm just saying from your grandparents' point of view, I could see where that would happen.
1: Yeah, you know, um, it's funny is that years before my mom and I were sitting around talking, we had a very kind of, Oh, God, we fought a lot, but we really loved each other. At the same time, we laughed a ton, a ton together. And she said she said one day, she said, you know, if something were to ever happen to me, oh, my God, you know, our, my family would totally blame your father. <laughs> and We kind of laughed about it because we knew it kind of made sense to us. But I don't believe in the end that they did that at all. In fact, oh, I think they were very good. good to my father, and they were, um, you know, very good to
0: him, yeah. Well, that's good. That, that, you know, what that makes me feel good. I, I'm happy because you know it's not his fault. It's nobody's fault. It's just a. No. It was just an accident. But I was right. curious also, about what your grandparents like, would think.
1: Yeah, sure. And she was. I mean, you know, when you they knew very well that she was the one. Even though he got the jobs in various countries, she was the one. Kind of like we should go here. We should try to do this. Like she was the one that dragged him to Botswana in the first place in the seventies. Right? It wasn't like it wasn't him. He was like following her in a way. So they knew that she was kind of the ringleader,
0: you know, (laughs) the ringleader. I love that. I love that. And, and, you know, just from what you told me, she sounds like she was a very, um, not powerful in a negative way, but she knew what she wanted. She was strong willed, educated, and she was trying to make a difference in the world.
1: Yeah, very much so. It's a great description of her.
0: What brought them? And I forgot this, but, and we might not even talk about what brought them to Botswana in the first place.
1: I think it was just, it was where they were placed by the Peace Corps. So when you apply for the Peace Corps and you get accepted into the the program, they place, uh, they place you where they need you. That was it.
0: Okay. Well, you brought up the Peace Corps. So I wanted to play a clip, um, this isn't from a previous episode. This is from a conversation you and I were having after your episode aired. And just to get people up to speed, you you were sending me messages on WhatsApp, and your finger kept slipping. And you sent four messages, <laughs> and it was like <laughs> a fourth of this, a fourth uh, half, and and then finally you were able to share this incredible story with me. And I want to share it with the listeners. So, um, one, let me push this button here, and there you go. Joe, sorry, I
3: don't know what's happening. It never does this. Anyway, she said, "Your mom and I totally thought about joining the Peace Corps. She talked about it. And she and I were friends in Texas we, um, in her 20s, and I'm not surprised at all how her life um, went on, you know, to adopt you guys. Anyway, it was super moving for me to get a note like that from a person I don't feel I even know who knew my mom, who's, you know, you know she passed away when I was 15, who knew my mom when she was in her 20s, that's just crazy. So, I mean, I can say thank you to you for a lot of reasons, but if this is the kind of feedback that I'm gonna get from people around the world, dude, that makes my heart beam, like, I want nothing more than for people to call me and tell me stories and be like, hi guy, I just wanna let you know I know your mom. I mean, that's like a dream. So, I was just blown away by that.
0: That, you know that's emotional. I almost hear your voice cracking in that message that you sent me.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was it's just great to hear that. Uh, you know, of course, when I recorded that to you, I never knew it was going to be played on the show, and I I love that it has been because it was very real. I mean, basically, uh, the first episode aired that I was um, on here and grounded, and then within like a day, maybe I don't even know. I got this great message from a woman named Susie Fella who she said, Hi, Susie. Hi, Karen. Hey, Susie. She said, uh, Hey, Aaron. Um, so I just listened to the podcast. I was friends with your mom in the sixties. We were in 1968 to 1969. We are both, um, nurses and training at Memorial Herman hospital in Houston, Texas as part of the Houston medical center. And, um, I loved your mother and she and I had great times together. And this is before she like left for Africa. And we used to talk about joining the Peace Corps and what that would look like for her. And, but mostly we were just like studying hard and, you know, maybe going out to meet boys and hanging out. And I was like, oh, how, how does this happen? You know, I mean, <laughs> this is 19. Someone's talking about, you know, their experiences with my mom in 1968 has contacted me in 2020 because I came on Grounded. But thank you
0: well been, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't I can't even process that I think that is so incredible and so have you spoken with this woman anymore have you gotten any information out of her that you possibly didn't know about your mom from when she was a child or when she was a teenager
1: yeah oh well, absolutely I mean and, and, and immediately I responded like I just said I just you know, this is insane and thank you for contacting me and Um, I sent her the obituary that my dad read both in the United States and in the Middle East of, of their life in the Peace Corps because she didn't, you know, we, now we live in an age of social media. Right. But of course then it was like, if you didn't keep in touch with someone via mails or like actually dialing their number, there was no other way. And so I think after she left Houston and, um, married my father and then they went to the Peace Corps, they just didn't stay in touch. Um. And she told me, Susie told me, she said, I have searched for your mother for so many years. I've looked for her in different ways. I always wanted to reconnect with her. And then one day I came across you and, um, it's like, I kind of could surmise from certain things you had written that she had died, but it was devastating to me because it wasn't like I never knew. Um, and she told me great stories of them being, you know, what was like girls in their twenties going out to these boys and. Um, my mom always, again, being the ringleader, dragging her over to do this, or, um, you know, they had a very good friend who was a foreign exchange student who spoke Spanish. And they said, my mom made her, made her, or asked her to teach them all, like all the bad words in Spanish, which none of it surprises me. It's exactly who she was. You know, she was like as serious about social justice issues as she was fun to hang out with. So it's, yeah, it wasn't surprising, but it was beautiful to hear. And yeah, man, I just can't thank you enough. Honestly, if there's anyone else out there who knew Nikki Wade, Nikki Nelson Wade <laughs> in the '60s, '70s, '80s, or onward, please feel free to reach out to me. I um, do
0: you do you ever see yourself going back to Southern Louisiana to look deeper into your mom's past?
1: Huh. Uh, I've not thought that. I've not thought that because I do know, like the friends that she kind of was in high school with. There was a number of them that she, she always stayed in contact with. or was able, to, you know what it was? It was a function of us returning to Louisiana in the summers, and those people still lived in the same homes, and we would like just see them in the neighborhood, right? I've always been able to access those people, and I'm super grateful for that. But I, no, I don't think her. I've never thought about going and like doing the digging. It's a great idea, honestly. I mean, that's not. I've not thought about it in that way, though.
0: Well, you yeah, know. You're, because we we you know when we're when we're growing up it's so it's almost funny to realize or to find out actually the words find to like to find out that your parents had a life before you. Oh, yeah. Because you just (laughs) think of them, they're your parents. And then you find out, oh my God, my mom is out there checking out boys when she's a teenager and learning all the bad Spanish words, which I must tell you, that's what I was doing as a teenager. So your mom and I connected. (laughs) I was learning (laughs) all the bad Spanish words and I was chasing after boys at 16. So yeah, it makes...
1: (laughs) It does make a difference. Yeah. So incredible. the other day, my bro- my uh, my sons were—they get this thing where like one of them has my iPad and the other one steals my phone, which I've sort of put a, uh, an end to that because of the story. But um, they were each uh, calling each other from their from rooms. Like one goes to one room, one goes to my bedroom, and they just call each other on Facetime and laugh. Okay, that's what they do. And I don't know how it happened, but they the other day the the little one like dialed my ex boyfriend's number. Oh my god! I- <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my god! You're right. <laughs> Oh my God. and this guy um you know i did for a while in, in uh when i was in yeah, university and um he's a good guy he's actually a really good guy we still talk we've talked you know i, I like him it's not like a bad situation at all but i also like <laughs> so he's in Texas in Austin and he's sitting apparently he's sitting in a meeting and he, he just gets getting facetimed and oh, he he tests wow. so i of course don't have my phone and i eventually what's happening is my youngest is calling him on repeat. And every time he answers, like (laughs) here's this little like South African kid's face, like popping up into his window. And I'm sure he's like, what the fuck is going on? So I eventually like I take my phone and I see like six texts from, from him. And it
2: says,
1: says, Garen, are, are you okay? Do you need me to leave this meeting? Um, are you all right? I can call you if you need me. And I was like, Oh my, God, like, you know, you would never imagine, right, with your ex, like, how all... <laughs> that's so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it was so embarrassing. I mean, that's the last time he played with my yeah. phone.
0: But and then you're like, you will never see daddy's phone again. But, you know, yeah. kudos for, for the ex-boyfriend to think, oh, my God, maybe this kid's trying to tell me that his dad's on the floor.
1: Well, he's that kind of guy. He's a super nice guy. And it just the whole reason, this, you know, I'm telling that story is your kids don't think of you as having a life before them. And, you know, they were like what happened? I'm like, well, you were calling, you know, someone I dated before your father. And they just looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <I'm>
0: like, <laughs> that's, a, <what? laughs> that's a great story. You can share with him when he's a teenager. Yeah. Right. You could be right. like, you know, you did this to me and you're crazy. Um, and, yeah. Um. So I want to go. So Botswana, that's, and then they moved to the Philippines.
1: Um They actually, after they finished in Botswana, um, they hiked from Botswana through southern Africa up the east coast of Africa to Kenya. Did you they say? On did sh-
0: you say hiked? Yeah, I did. These yeah. Pe- I can't take these people. <sighs> these people are crazy. They're That's awesome. crazy. They, 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 I mean, really, Steve, I know, they really Steve, You're like- crazy. <laughs> <But> go
1: ahead. <laughs> they, you know, they um, made their way to Kenya, got on a, a ship to India um they said they were like the whatever the last class that's all they could afford because you know peaceful volunteers are quite poor and um they took a ship to india and then part two they hiked from india through all of <laughs> you know like the middle east into germany and when they got to germany they stood on the autobahn i love this story and they held a sign up that said new york city like we need help going to new york city And of course people laughed and i don't know but they they probably got a ride to somewhere which allowed them to get to an airport and whatever it was. And then they made their way back to the United States where my dad went to Columbia, got his MBA, and then they um, set off to the Philippines.
0: I love the idea that your parents come from southern Louisiana. They go, they explore the world, they come back for, for more education, and then they go back out and change the world. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's so incredible. It's so incredible. But I want to talk a little bit about, because I'm I'm very interested in the idea. So we're going to go back to Jordan. But I'm very interested in the idea of Americans living abroad, especially in the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. You had mentioned something, and this is probably a, a fun topic, but you had mentioned going to school with the Princess of Jordan. Yeah, true. And I wanted to know what, what was that like? Because it sounds like you guys had lots of influential friends when you were there.
1: Yeah, or and in a way, it's just the life you live when you live that life. You know, it never felt different to us or extraordinary in the circumstances. It was just sort of how it was. I mean, it, our friends were like the American. When I was really young, I was like, I remember like kicking my legs when we lived in Gambia, we should totally talk about Gambia at some point. Very interesting story. But just to say, I didn't like, even know sitting... Gambia
0: was on the table. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too much. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: But just, no, just, you know, as a kid, my norm was often like sitting with my mom at the ambassador's house overlooking the ocean in Banjul Gambia, kicking my legs under the table, wondering when we could leave. You know, that was like normal for me. And so in Jordan, it wasn't really that weird when they came, I think one of the teachers came and told our class in... I wanna say it was tenth or eleventh grade. They said, um, the Princess of Jordan is gonna be coming to um your class. And our classes were small. It's not like America. Like our classes were like twenty people, so if even. So, you know, it was like you were definitely gonna know this person, be around them constantly. Um and so it is actually Nor al Hussein's daughter. Nor al Hussein is the queen uh, of uh, King Hussein. Um she's the American queen, I believe, from California that married King Hussein and uh you know, was the queen for a very long time until King Hussein died. He actually died while we were there. So, yeah, she was in our class. And how was that? I mean, it was fairly normal. Her bodyguards were outside. It was... I don't know. We didn't really think about it, Joe. It's so, I mean, now it sounds insane. People like you talk about this. But it was not different. Um, she was... You know, I sat next to her in AP Economics, I believe. And we kind of just... Talk. I mean, she was the normal kid in the class. Well. I,
0: I'm going to call you out. Because you you were leading me on before we talked on this podcast you led me on to believe that she probably wasn't the kindest person well that
1: is that <laughs> is true okay oh man yeah okay, is this is grounded with in flight is, intended Joe <laughs> let, me, let me preface I mean I'm talking about literally I'm a member of the royal family so I don't want to you know basically she and I did not get along I mean when I say that like we sat next to each other. It was fine. It was this. We weren't best friends. I certainly didn't go over to the palace like some of my friends were going to the palace, you know, to, for, to hang out after school. That was not our relationship. Um, I will say this.
2: Oh,
0: good. This yeah. Princess,
1: juicy. Juicy. This, oh, juicy. And You put me in this spot. Okay. I'm not going to say her
0: name. Okay? This is the Maury Povich <laughs> section of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Matt, Matt always tells me that. Matt always says, you've got to find the line. You don't want to go Maury. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's that's right. That's good advice.
1: um, Look, people, we were young. She was who she was. I'm, you know, I'm sure she's changed. But at the time, it seemed not enough that her father was the king because we would be standing in line to maybe buy lunch. You know, and his his her father's face was on the money, right? And so (laughs) I can remember one one specific these things happened, right. Yeah, I, and I remember one time she was standing next to me and she said, uh, Garen, you know, that's my father. And I just was kind of like, yeah, of course I know that's your dad. Are you kidding me? Like, I, did, I just I looked at her like, why would you say that? You're already the princess. Like, everyone knows who your father is, you know? Right. It would be like Chelsea Clinton being like, you know, my dad's Bill Clinton. Like, yeah, I do actually know that. And um, <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people sort of revered her or at least get, treated her in a sort of special way potentially in a bigger sense you know people weren't getting in fights with her let's people weren't really calling her out on anything and i was more like i don't really give a shit who you are because you you seem like not the nicest person to me and so and so yeah and so at the time uh we didn't you know we weren't like best friends or anything no um i think she she that kind of another time i was told that you know she was trying to pour like a soda on my head. That's what I remember. And I said, don't do that. And she said, you know, my bodyguards are
0: outside. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> and of course so like, well, of course, this is a kid, and I bet you even if you talked to yeah. her about it today, she would probably be sure. like, oh, you know how us royals are. But yeah, we dump things on the peasants, and that's just how it right. works. <laughs> right. And I want to make super clear, like, we were young, you know, and, and we were like
1: teenagers, and people change. And I, I have no way to even think about her in a bad light now. But that's just what it was. I will say, you know, you knew that you could never say something against her family. That was made very clear, you know? Um, by, who, by who? The teacher? Just, no, just like the culture was like, you do not talk oh. shit about the royal family. You know, in a way in the U.S. where you can slam a U.S. president, you do not like say anything bad about the royal family because it, there's not really freedom of speech there. There's really not as much as anyone would like to say that there is there's just not
0: <laughs> so, well we have the um, most we yeah. have the most freedom of speech you know matt always reminds me of that when we're watching tv and he's like you think he's like pick australia or canada those are such liberal countries but you still can't say everything you want
1: true actually my friend who's from canada was telling me hey jordan what's up I name is jordan butchard he was telling me that um canada like canada you cannot like, hate speech is not condoned. Like, so, like, you can't have, like, a KKK rally outside. Like, that's not okay. Because it falls under hate speech. And actually, that's something I never knew. Because, of course, in America, like, all speech is protected. Right. Mm, right. It's a different. Yeah, you're right. I you learned know, that very recently.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, <clears throat> I think we take, you know, I'm not going to say we take advantage of freedom of speech. But I think what happens is in the United States, like, I'll take, um, who are those crazy lunatics? Westboro Baptist Church. Westboro
1: Baptist Church. You knew exactly yeah. what I was talking about because all the gays know them because they're so terrible. Well, <laughs> they're you know, so
0: horrible. I think ninety percent of what they do is just theater, really. Yeah, I mean, it's I agree, just theater. But the like optics. You know, you have people like that, and they're spewing things that are horrific and awful and terrible. But you know, I don't like to hear it, and I don't listen to it. But because it's the United States they have that freedom. Now, freedom of speech, I think people get confused because they only want it to work for the things they want to hear. Right. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, like I don't agree with their message, but be- they have the right to say it. And so that's so <laughs> United States because think about this in the United States, you can walk around with a Nazi flag and you won't get arrested. If you're in Germany, you're arrested.
1: Right. It's very different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I and you know what my favorite I think my favorite one is the freedom. My favorite amendment is the first one, the freedom of speech, because it's something that we take for granted. um, Mm -hmm. And we don't even realize we take it for granted. We just, Absolutely. you know, it's just, it's just part of who we are. And we said, we can say whatever. And then I love the argument that people say, I got fired, but there's freedom of speech. Oh, you're confused again. Freedom of speech means you can say what you want. You won't get a- arrested, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to be held accountable for the stupid shit you say.
1: Exactly. And people, a lot of people are realizing that right now.
0: Yeah. They are. And I I wish they, you know what? I want to go, I, sh- I wish we could go back and change a lot of things, but I wish we could go back and change education and really teach people the important things. Like, yeah, you have the freedom to speak and say whatever you want, but you're going to be, you're going to be held accountable for it. I mean, you're not going to be arrested mm-hmm. and, you know, dragged outside or beaten or whatnot, but... You could lose your job, you could lose your wife, you could you're gonna be held accountable. And I think that's missed. A lot of people don't realize that because education has failed that.
1: Sure. And when you grow up in countries where you realize that freedom of the press or, you know, freedom of speech isn't actually enshrined in their constitution, then you you know, you're you're more thankful for those values or sorry, for those rights than perhaps if you've always been entitled to them. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It does. What i what I think about is like you're in a country like Jordan. Your parents are there. They're very liberal. Um, Jordan is a conservative place, I I expect. I would think it's conservative. Um, and what, I wonder what that's like when you have to be, re- when you're so used to speaking out and, oh, I don't like this, and I'm going to speak out, and it's my freedom, and it's my right. And then you're in a country where you're like, no, you can't don't do that because bad things will happen. Yeah, well,
1: it's quite different. I mean, it's you know, the good thing was that my parents were always very realistic about before we moved to a country, we would learn about that country. And it was like, this is how it's different. This is how it's the same. And we knew, you know, we knew even something as simple as how my sister and even us, how we dressed there. It was very different from how we dressed in the United States or even in, we had lived just previously in Jamaica, South Africa, Gambia. Um, you know, those countries did not come with this kind of conservative culture. And so it was very important that we knew that um, you know, my sister wasn't going to wear short shorts walking down the street there because that is seen as um, you know, inappropriate. Um, and even as much as adult, my parents aren't going to hold hands walking down the street in Jordan at that time, perhaps it's changed.
0: Not even your um, parents?
1: No, it's not really. In fact, what's really great, <laughs> great. I'm going to get skewered for saying that. What's really, I think, great is like, Boys who are friends hold hands there. They're not boyfriends, they're just boys who are friends. And that's completely normal. But holding like your spouse's hand isn't super like any kind of physical display of affection is not really part of how it was in two thousand and four when I uh, you know, left there. It wasn't really something you would see. I remember a teacher, actually it's my friend Tina. Hey Tina. I feel like I'm just shouting out to people but Hey, hey Gina, yeah, do what was, you want. What's up? It's friend, just a friend, conversation people, um,
0: between friends. Go ahead. <laughs> my friend Tina and Jay
1: were teachers, American teachers at the international school in Jordan. And um, I became very close to them because I was her kindergarten teacher's assistant in high school and he was my English teacher. And uh, Anyway, years later, um, they, I remember we were in America together, in the U.S. together in, over a summer. And she and I were walking by, now both adults, right, um, and, and seeing like a teenagers kissing outside of a restaurant or something. I remember she said, you know, that's the shit that I miss living in the Middle East is like young love, seeing people in love and like just being themselves. Because you, yeah, you would never see someone making out on the street in Jordan. That's just not it. That's not the thing.
0: But you said uh-huh. Middle East. Isn't well, Jordan well, in the I, Middle East? No, no, that's what I'm saying. It's like in, in under the
1: greater sort of umbrella of Middle Eastern culture, uh-huh. physical displays of affection is not part of it. Jordan right. itself, while being probably the most liberal Arab country in the Middle East, Is still not, at the time when I lived there, still not a place where you're going to see people kissing outside of a bar. Hmm.
0: Interesting. You know, um, Mm. in India, too, I believe men hold hands walking down the street. I would be, listen, this is another reason I can't go to the (laughs) Middle East. I would be executed because I'd walk by two straight guys holding hands. I'd be like, hey, ladies, where's the bar? And then I'd be (laughs) done. (laughs) And it's opposite in the States, because there's this homophobic fear in the United States, especially with heterosexual men, that they have to put that exclamation mark, a literal exclamation mark at the end of, I'm straight.
1: Right. It's like the fear of being gay is just so...
0: Yeah, the fear that someone would... think i was not it not even get caught with a dick in your mouth sorry steve um now i'm apologizing to your dad on my own podcast um but not only is it i gotta, ref, I gotta refocus here i've been i, I I've, promise
1: I, you he's laughing i'm he's almost, like I, sitting, in, well, he's sitting in italy laughing at, i would probably be sitting in italy laughing well i'm mad that
0: said. he's sitting in italy and i'm not but okay but um <laughs> I totally forgot what I was going to say because I threw out the dick joke. And then I thought about your dad listening and I felt horrible, but in America, you know, it's, it's in the United States. It's not even the fear of, you know, getting caught being gay. It's, it's just the idea. I know people. Who are friends? Who in the past they wouldn't drive in a car with somebody who had a rainbow flag on it because you know back in the day we stuck rainbow flags on everything, and um, <laughs> back in like the mid nineties if you didn't have a rainbow if you were gay and you didn't have a rainbow flag on your car you were n- you weren't woke. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, if it was today now, oh my God, people would be attacked because they didn't have a rainbow sticker on their car. But I know somebody who wouldn't want to drive in a car with a friend who had a rainbow sticker on their car because just the idea that a stranger would be drive by and think that the person might be gay. That's the fear mm-hmm. in the United States. It's it's, it's so, I have straight friends who are like, I'm going to throw this joke at you, but I, it's not sexual. Okay, well, I wasn't gonna have sex with you anyway because you look like the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs>
1: yeah, so, I mean, I think you know we talk about this like toxic masculinity in the U.S. and it's so real. You know, it's it's like it's like I actually watched I didn't watch it. Came across as like an ad on my on my Facebook thing this morning. It was a, it was a shirtless guy covered in tats, looking extremely attractive, um, basically like r- moving around his house to amazingly sort of sensual music. Um, but also, like, aggressive music. And he is, like, uh, t- picking up these black drawers of things. And in the video, it's like, you really can't focus on anything besides his tattoos, his abs, and, like, his face. He's beautiful. But um, what you realize towards the end is that the product that's being pushed or advertised its called War Paint. So what do, you, what do you think, Joe? What do you think War Paint is, if I asked you?
0: War Paint? Oh, God, now you're yeah. going to make me sound like an old person. War Paint. Um... I don't know. Is it some ugh, war paint? It's probably something that you would put on to go to a protest. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Okay. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I didn't know either. So, basically, what this product, this product is called war paint. But what it is, it's makeup for men. But they couldn't just be like, hey, guys, if you want to wear makeup, wear makeup. It would have to be like some guy who is super masculine and like extremely fit. And there's no chance that like, you know, whatever. And then he gets to the end and he's putting on makeup but like you have to watch it three or four times to realize that they're advertising. Oh, they
2: can't even you know, okay.
1: make the point that like, they have to call it war pain to make it something that's so aggressive to appeal to men when really, you know what I mean? It's as part of this whole toxic masculinity culture. Um, that's fascinating. That I think you're referring to, yeah. You, know.
0: you know, it reminds me of, and you're going to be like, why does this remind you of that? But it reminds me of the 1919, the 1919 Spanish flu pandemic and how men thought it was too feminine to wear a mask so They wouldn't yeah. wear a mask because I'm a man. I don't need to wear a mask. So the government and ad agencies had to come out and say things like, "It is your patriotic duty as a man to wear a mask. You need to show women that you're a strong male. So you need." To... And I always thought that's a lot of fucking work to tell somebody to put on a mask so they don't get someone else sick, or to tell someone to wear a mask because they think it's too girly. So that's why, right. When you talked about war, war paint—just the name pisses me off.
1: Of course, because why? why are we, we're like, why are we glorifying the war to make somebody feel more secure? In the
0: what country? are you in war against, acne? Yeah. <laughs> what is this—a war against acne? Or are you Nancy Reagan? It's absurd. It's absurd. Okay, we've got off track, but um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's fun, and I don't care. Um, but let's talk about the Gambia, which is in West Africa. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. Very um, good. What brought you guys there? Because I don't think I knew or remembered that you lived in West Africa.
1: Yeah, so um, a quick timeline. Right after South Africa, we moved to Hawaii for one year. And then we left Hawaii and moved to to Gambia, um, which is a tiny country uh, in West Africa, right on the coast. And um, again, my dad's work in international development brought us there. And it was like one of my favorite places that we ever lived. Maybe like alongside South Africa, my two favorites. Um, It was the most remote place we ever lived. So very few like paved roads. Um, You know, there was no such thing as like a centralized store. There was no like, forget about even something kind of like target or a grocery store. We bought our bread from a bread store, our meat from a meat store. And then for fruits and vegetables, we would go into, um, the market, like the open-air market in what is called Saracunda, and um, go like through the sand talking to vendors, haggling for your products, negotiating uh, for, for whatever you wanted to buy. And it was an incredible experience, a tiny country that sits on the west coast of Africa. Um, but, after living there only a short time, there was an uprising in the military, and an um, officer named Yaya Jame, basically, you know, brought forth a coup, a coup d'etat, a takeover of the military out of the state um, in 1994, I believe, in Gambia. And we, it was like, the, everything was super normal and wonderful. And then one day it was, you know, hey, the military is taking over the country. The American ambassador has left on a ship off the coast of his, uh, actually that house that I was saying, I swing my feet under the table and ask, wonder when we were leaving, left uh, on a ship. And um, and um, you guys are all pretty much screwed, you know? And, and so we were under who, curfew. Let me, wait, we,
0: let me interrupt. Who was screwed? Everyone or Americans living in Gambia?
1: Just like the international community okay. who had moved there for very specific reasons. Now you had, you know, I think from the foreign policy perspective, countries were like, well, we have no idea what's going to happen because basically someone has taken over the country. And um, we were under curfew. You know, we were... Locked in our home, we couldn't leave until we could only leave during certain hours of day. On the way to school, you would stop at military checkpoints. You would have to get out of the car. And they would make you open the um truck, the boot, the trunk. Sorry, we said the boot, the trunk, the back of the car, and um, you know, make sure you're not you know bringing people or products or anything in. And that was our life for a while there. So it was an incredibly interesting experience as a kid. It was the first time that I was had ever had a um. A weapon held at me um, by a military officer. And um, I would never forgot it. That one moment that happened so quickly, it just has stayed with me for my
0: whole life. You know, How old were you?
1: I was seven to eight.
0: And probably eight. Why would a military and was this during the coup? So it was actually yeah. happening? You guys were on lockdown? Why? Why did the military person point a gun at a child?
1: So it was me and my friend from Germany, because uh, the German family that was living there, we were biking around. So during daylight hours, you could kind of still go. It wasn't really dangerous. It was just that, like, you knew by, I don't know, six o'clock at night, I wouldn't have to be in their homes. And, um, you know, I was riding around with him, as I remember, and we had gone to a store. And this will seem very strange to Americans who are like, your eight year old is like out there riding around. But that this is kind of the rural, uh, I don't say rural, but very remote and, um, it was it was the very like rural Africa. It wasn't dangerous really in that, in that same way that we think about things here. Um, and the military convoy came through, so yeah, um, Jame brought his uh, convoy through town, you know, and they were happened to be making their way up on the street where we were, and I just remember feeling so sort of terrified. I mean, what what is this? And there was an act of m- showing military strength. I mean, he was. At the top of um, some, you know, sort of uh, apparatus on top of the car, you, a car, moving a machine gun around and, and placing it, you know, right right at us um, for another no reason just to demonstrate power. But it was sure. terrifying.
0: Um, and how long were you guys there? When how long after the coup were you guys like we got a bounce?
1: Yeah, within months. Within months, it okay. became impossible to live there, and um, we yeah we had to leave. And it was sad because it was an
0: extraordinary place to live. Yeah. Wow. You know, I've, that's one of the, I have not been to Africa and I have not been to Antarctica. Those are the two continents that I have not been on. And, um, yeah. And I want, there's so many places I want to go to Africa, but being from the United States, I have been programmed to fear certain places in the world. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's sure. pro- like I would, there's certain places that, you know, that question I ask, I asked this question on the podcast, you know, um, where's the one place you wouldn't want to go. If I was going to buy you a, a, a vacation somewhere, where's the one place you wouldn't want to go. That's the twist on the question to throw people off. Um, mm. and I am afraid to go to the Middle East. I, and, and what I, oh, and, but this is Africa we're talking about, but you know, In the Middle East, I'm afraid to go there because I've heard, like, if you're even in the airport and they find weed on the bottom of your shoe from weeks ago, you could be arrested.
1: Well, you definitely don't want to... (laughs) You definitely know, don't want to travel
0: with your edibles to the Middle East. Well, that now, well n- now that I don't work at the airline, I don't travel without my edibles anyway. <laughs> right?
1: I know. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations, but, man.
0: But I want to go. I, there's so many places in Africa that I want to visit. I want to go to South Africa. I would love to go to Kenya. I've always wanted to go to Morocco. Have you been to Morocco? I want to go to Morocco. Morocco
1: is- Yeah, Morocco is actually one of my favorite countries in the world.
0: Yeah, what brought you there? Were you young? Was it when you were living in West Africa that you went there, or
1: yeah, on the exit, on the exit of leaving Gambia, we traveled to Morocco. And what I remember about Morocco was feeling like you had a a European influence because you know they speak French there, an Arabic influence because you still have like a very Middle Eastern culture that is um, intersecting with the French culture, and then of course you're on the Northwest corner of Africa. So you have an African culture and just the beauty of those three cultures coming together in so many ways. It's exceptional. Um, I remember we went to camel races. I don't think many people have been to camel races. That's kind of different. I've never been to a horse race in my life, but I've been to a camel race.
0: Well, I don't (laughs) agree. I don't, I I don't agree with any kind of races, but that's just because I, I'm a vegetarian, but no, I understand. That's so interesting. Your life is so different.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, and it, of course, like I said earlier, it doesn't, that never felt different, but that is just what it was. It was, you should absolutely go to Morocco. And what I will say is the United States over many years has done a great job of terrifying people of the continent of Africa, a continent that is enormous and um, is misrepresented on the Mercator Projection, which is the map that most schools have used previously, certainly the one that you grew up seeing. Mm. Um, and uh, it's an enormous continent with so many different countries. And you can certainly go to, Many of them. I mean, I like, I just so many. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed?
0: Have you ever noticed that people from the United States, I don't know if they do this everywhere, but people from the United States, they don't ever talk about specific countries on the continent of Africa. They just call, they just say Africa is Africa. I'm not going to Africa. You know, there's a lot of, there's a, it's not like you say, I'm not going to, well, I guess people do say, I'm not going to Asia, but, um, what? Yeah, I don't know why that is. Jeff. Yeah, but do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I've heard that from people like, oh, Africa. Well, there's like 50 countries inside the continent. That's the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm probably mm-hmm. over-exaggerating the number of countries there. Do you know? You're very smart. No, I I
1: actually can't quote exactly. I want to say it's like 40-something, 40 40-something, 40
0: but you're close. Oh, well, I'm close. That's yeah. not that bad. That's not that bad for a, a white guy from the United States. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Now, it sounds like to me, you're like this eight-year-old, you guys are on this adventure. It sounds like your parents had to, I wonder if they juggled with the idea of, okay, we have to, there's a coup, we have to get out. We don't want to scare the kids. We're making this an adventure. It sounds like you guys Mm. went on a lot of adventures. Because I know if I had young kids um, and we had to escape because of the military, I wouldn't want to scare them. So I would kind of create like, we're explorers. We're, on, we're exploring the world, now it's time to leave.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> I love that because that would actually probably be my kind of way as well. But my parents were, they were very transparent about everything. Everything was very matter-of-fact. And re- in retrospect, I very, very much appreciate it. Um, I don't think that was the way that they presented it. I think they did state the facts and what the military has uh, taking over the country. And your dad's not going to have a job here, nor is it safe for us to stay here, so we've got to figure out something else. Um, but we were sort of used to that in the same way. I mean, you know, most times when we traveled with them, we would go off the beaten path. So there's this sort of great memory I have of when we did live in Jordan. Um, I went everywhere, you know, I went to Lebanon, I went to Syria, I went to, um, I used to run track and field, I used to run to 400 meters in Egypt. That was kind of normal. That was instead of having state, state competitions, you had to enter country. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, like in Syria, um, in probably 2000, 1999, 2000, instead of taking like the road, the actual road between uh, Aleppo and Palmyra, the two cities in in Syria, my parents decided to leave the road and just go through the desert. I mean, just straight through the desert and just like see what happens. Hopefully we would make our way there.
0: It was like. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What what desert were you guys driving through? And you're driving. yeah, 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 yeah. I am driving there with the Syrian desert. Um, you know, there's certain roads that connect cities
1: and then there's just the desert where you will encounter beautiful Bedouin people, people who are nomads and tr- are, are there with their flock of sheep or goats or, and camels and whatnot. And, um, and um, yeah. And sometimes they have a
0: Toyota truck as well. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like, well, you got to have a Toyota truck.
1: <laughs> you got to have a truck to put all these, yeah. So, and that's what they would do. They would leave the main path and they would just go. And so we were very used to this kind of uncertainty and, um, uh, they were somehow able to foster like this sense of, yeah, I mean, um, safety in a situation that was definitely potentially unsafe. If that makes sense. They did a good job of that. And we saw a lot of the world because of it.
0: Was there ever times where they were like, was there ever a place you lived where, okay. Rewind. Where is the place you've lived in your during your childhood, which was the most unsafe, you think, now looking back?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Let me think about that real quick. I think probably, I'm just going through the places. Oh,
0: yeah, there's so many.
1: We should take Um, a
0: commercial break. (laughs) The
1: the places that we live. um, Oh, man. I mean, I I guess I think that uh, Joe, I don't have a, you know, because I think, like, had we stayed in South Africa, potentially South Africa was quite dangerous in those times, you know, like when we lived there, we had we lived in a home with like panic buttons on the walls and seven foot walls around us. And there was kind of a, the country was going through such flux. But then if I talk about Jordan, it's like, you know, in the aftermath of September 11th, the rise of Al Qaeda making its way around the Middle East, the invasion of the United States into Iraq. and that would have been potentially very unsafe to continue in that situation. So I don't know, you know, I mean my one friend was killed by al-Qaeda, but then like the racism in south africa at a very uh, young age might have been difficult for two Brown kids living there. It's impossible to know.
0: I want to talk about your friend being killed by al-Qaeda, but I also want you to to let me know what are panic buttons on the wall.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, I say that like it's nothing. Yeah. So when we move <laughs> you act like you, you
0: act like you were in the basement or something, but no. I don't, yeah. no <laughs> I'm like I'm like, he's talking like he was having orange juice for breakfast and there was a bomb dropping in the backyard.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, South Africa in nineteen eighty nine when we moved there, as I said in the first um the first episode. It was it was going through such a, a um a change in times. You know, basically apartheid was coming to a head and people were trying to um the country was trying to figure out its its future of um allowing black people to have the same rights and it caused like quite a, I'd say, quite a, a disturbance in the uh, political landscape of that country. And part of that is, you know, such a big income disparity between people that never had and people that have quite often had. And so the homes there, where I lived, had these giant walls around. And then in certain rooms, you had panic buttons, which was basically a button on the wall that you would press like a light switch, and it would call the police
0: interesting so if somebody was like trying to climb the wall or yeah or if you felt dangerous you didn't have to pick up the phone and call the police you pushed a button
1: yeah exactly now and not all not houses
0: like, but not all houses had that
1: i mean l- let me speak very bluntly like basically yeah. white wealthy homes had that
0: all
2: right right yes.
1: and i my parents were white people who were living in that country in a certain way and so they had that yeah
0: and i i want now my brain is going to like When you come to a country like that, you're you're South Africa, they're going through all this turmoil, and it's almost like you'll feel safe in this house. There's seven foot walls, there's panic buttons, you have nothing to worry about. Buy this house or rent this house.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but that's, you know, any house you're going to rent is basically that situation at that time in that country,
0: you know? And it becomes
1: this kind of fascinating idea of like, you're safe inside these walls, but you certainly can't really see out. You know they, I, when I went back to Johannesburg both in 2016 and then in, in 2020 to adopt uh, emmanuel um my you know looking at Jamie my husband ta- talking I was like I don't know that I would like to live here right now because we're so used to this way of life of like just walking outside and sharing space with neighbors and blah 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 and potentially that that exists in some form there but a lot of you know like my house is still standing there with those seven foot walls 10 um, foot walls whatever it was and I don't know That's not the way I kind of want to live, you know?
0: You went back to your, when you were there to adopt your son, um, you went back to your old house, to your old neighborhood. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And did it look the same?
1: The neighborhood looked exactly the same and the house had been slightly modified on the exterior, but actually in 2016, when we went, I had always dreamed of going back to that home and I talked to. To Jamie at probably nauseam about how, like, do you think I should ring the doorbell and see if they'll let me in? And he was like, You, I mean, you can do it, but like, people might not allow it. They're going to push so, the panic
0: button. <laughs> they
1: might push that panic button. <laughs> right. So I, I remember on the flight over, um, I just thinking about it, like, should I do this? Should I do this? And I was like, You know, what? I'm, I'm all the way here. Like, the worst that they can do is say no, right? Right. So yeah. the very first morning, um, we went to the home. Like, we had a, a driver take us, drop us in front of the home. And I just rang the buzzer, and um, the, someone answered over the intercom. Uh, again, this sounds so foreign here in the U.S., that's kind of how that works. And it was a, a woman's voice, and she said, hello, you know, can I help you? And I said, hi, this is extremely strange. Uh, my name is Garen Wade. I am from the United States, but I grew up in this house until I was seven, and I would love to just be able to see the garden, like just the garden. I don't even need to come in. But if you think this is too strange, I totally understand and then there was this long silence and she said no problem come back at three <laughs> so we did and we came back at three brought her a bottle of champagne or something and came in and um yeah she was so nice she did let, let us into home and it was like you know a walk into the past i mean i could see my mom and my dad and oh um,
0: yeah why wonderful. why three did she have to wait for like her husband to come home probably no
1: i i think it was like more about getting her daughter from and, like her, oh, okay. her, her day, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I'm glad yeah. you did that because you traveled halfway across the world to go there. You might as well just ring the doorbell,
1: right? Why not try it? Yeah. And like I said, the worst thing. I even felt that way, like when I was young and dating. Like, the, just ask someone out. Like, the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna say like, no, no okay. thanks. Right. You know, it just like very freeing.
0: Yeah, but we're afraid as a species. We're afraid to hear the word no. We're afraid to yeah, sure. We're afraid to be like, no, we're not interested. Click. You know, this kind of happened to me, but my story. What? First of all, I didn't travel as far. I just drove, traveled to Connecticut, and the person was not as friendly as this woman. So I had gone to Connecticut. I think like a year and a half ago to visit my new siblings and meet my biological dad and whatnot. And I went by my old house that I grew up in from like zero to eleven years old. And I was standing in the driveway. Hello. I was standing in the driveway. It had. A detached garage. And just like you, like even standing in front of the house, all the memories just come back. So mm-hmm. incredible how that works. So all of a sudden, somebody, and it was my grandparents owned the entire house and it was three stories. The Cassidys lived on the first floor. When I was born, they were like 80. And I think when I was 20, they were like 80. I don't know how that works, but they they were old. Listen, they were old when I was born and they were old when I was an adult. And then my grandparents lived on the second floor and then they converted the attic into an apartment for my mom and I, because my mom was a single mom when I was born. And, they basically took care of her cause she couldn't take care of herself or me. So we lived Ooh. upstairs. So I'm standing outside this house and it's repainted, but all the memories I'm remembering, sitting on the pesta, everything. And a car pulls into the driveway in front of me and I'm like, oh shit. So I step aside and the gentleman rolls down his window and the passengers. He's like, can I help you? Because when somebody's standing outside your house, it's weird.
1: Yeah, sure. I
0: mean, you notice it. So I start, same way you do. I'm like, hi, my name's Joe. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I grew up in this house, and- I'm just so excited to be here, and you know, and I start chatting with him, and then he's like, "Oh my god, yeah, you know, I first rented the top floor, the house that you apparently grew up in, but now I live on the second floor, which is where my grandparents lived." And so we were huh. having this great conversation. I was like, "Oh, my bedroom was the middle room," and he's talking back and forth, and he's like, "I would have loved, I would love to invite you in, but my apartment is is dirty." And I thought, oh. I just were you like that doesn't matter. Well, in my mind, I thought that's a sad excuse. I just gave you my entire childhood story and you, you're, you you do not want to let me in because you have dirty underwear on the floor. If you only knew I liked dirty men's underwear. <laughs>
2: no, no, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't
0: mean, Okay. I did mean to say that because I, I, so, Hey, listen, I don't even know. I didn't know that was coming out of my mouth. That's how, that's how this, uh, this brain operates. But he, he was like, Oh, my apartment's dirty. I'm so sorry. I would totally invite you in. And I was like, it's okay it's okay. Do you mind if I just hang out for a while and he's outside and he's like, yeah, absolutely. So I sat on the steps and I just reflected about my life. But yeah, going back to to that experience is so cathartic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm really it, it, glad you got it, to do that.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it was it was it was one of the, actually it one of the best things I've ever done like in my life. It was one of the most incredible things.
0: Yeah. And I love that your husband Jamie, the northern, the north, um, the upper state New York's like you're going to do what? Yeah, we don't people don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to nobody does that. What are you talking about? Which I am going to have your husband. He doesn't know this yet, but I have so many things I want to talk to him about. So he, I am he's going to be getting an invite to come on my show in the next couple months. But he's going to love that. Oh yeah, there's so many. He's probably like, what does Joe want to talk to me? Oh, there's trust me. So (laughs) um, (laughs) but. How do you put up with Garen? That's well, well, no. Um yeah. Oh yeah, we'll talk about you, of course. But let's you you kind of you do this to me. There's so much that's happened in your life. You throw things out, or you'll say something that means that's just normal for you, but everyone else listening's like, whoa, put the brakes on. And the brakes are you had a friend that was killed by the Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. Right. What can you talk can you go into more depth about that?
1: Well, it was that. It was actually that story I shared earlier about how you know my mom's um, after my mom died, the grief counselor that came to us, Virginia Foley. Her husband was the one. You know, he was oh, a, like I said, it was that okay. story. It was that
0: story. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like a friend, like another. 14-year-old who no had, no it was no. a family
1: you know it was a family event, oh okay. A and you did play, yeah. this.
0: okay okay because right. at first you know I was like oh my god he had a friend that was kid, but it was an adult friend it was kind of like yeah, a friend yeah. of your parents which is sure which I'm not trying to say is not important but um yeah. okay okay good I'm glad you clarified that because at first I was like whoa is he just saying this and he thinks I'm not going to talk about it because that's not going to happen
2: yeah, no, no, no.
1: That's very, yeah. That's, you know, that was part, that was like my introduction to the changing landscape there and what was, what was potentially possible.
0: Right. You know, welcome, welcome. And, and here's the, <laughs> where there panic buttons on the wall in Jordan, because it sounds like they need them.
1: <laughs> there were not, I mean, largely, and like I said, like largely Jordan was, you know, kind of a, kind of a, a neutral, a neutral place. Yes, a conservative region, but, um, you know one thing that's really interesting Joe, about Jordan is uh, so you know that like, I was adopted from Sri Lanka my sister was adopted from the Philippines one thing in all the sort of prep that my parents did to move to that country that they didn't know is that the two countries where most rich Jordanians bring their domestic help maids, their nannies, their housekeepers in from is Sri Lanka and the Philippines and so what that mm-hmm. meant was that um, my sister and I were treated like like shit, basically. I'll say it that way. Um, by a lot of people, unless they knew that we were attached to my white parents. So I have a great um, story of my father because he was the chief of party of this program that was called the Amir Program um, in Jordan. And he you know would host like dinners at our home, like events. Oh sort.
0: God, I know where you're going, and, but go ahead.
1: And, and exactly. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I remember the one of the first times he ever had it, and no one had met us before, right? Um, and the door opened, and many of his uh, Arab colleagues were there. And a guy, in the very same moment that he went to shake my dad's hand with his right hand, he handed me his coat in his left hand. Like it was in that same exact moment. And my dad was like, "Oh, uh, no, this is my son. You know, it's my son, Garen." And me being like, hold, I'm like standing there holding this guy's coat, like I'm the he thought I was the housekeeper. And you're
0: 14 at the time, so is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like 14, 15, 15 you know, whatever. Yeah, he
1: thought and you were um, the help. wow, yeah, he thought I was a help. And um, you know, I always when I tell that story, I'm always so careful to say that. And I'm not, I'm not upset about being mistaken for the help, there's no problem with that. But what the problem is that like you assume. That I am because I look that way. You know, I'm, I'm happy to take your coat. I'll take anyone's coat and hang it up for them. But the fact that, like, you just, you know, that that was your first instinct, um, in many ways over living there for many years, that I ran into that same situation over and over, um, of feeling like less than unattractive. Uh, the comments that were made towards these people, the Sri Lankan and Filipino workers, was terrible. And, um, you know, I've often said I am really a big. You know who Queen Rania is of Jordan?
0: I do not. I'm sorry. Okay, so she's the, sorry, no, she's I the current queen. I know a lot. Yeah, hey, like, hey, you know, I know a <laughs> lot of queens, but I don't know that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's
1: the she's the current the reigning monarch of Jordan. She's the current okay. queen of Jordan, married to King Abdullah. Okay, anyway, she is this incredible speaker, has an incredible presence. I've seen her speak. You know, watch her speeches at the Clinton Global Initiative and the World Economic Forum, and she's just a real wonderful uh, voice in this world. Um, and but she goes and she talks um, very articulately about the rights for children, the importance of education, um, the rights of women in the Arab world, and but like never mentions the sort of um, discrimination that goes on in her own country against. Filipino and Sri Lankan workers, which mm. anybody that lives in Jordan can tell you it's a big thing. Um, and I, I just hope one day that she will speak about that or at least do something to fix the situation. because you know there would be times when I would be out with my friends, imagine I'm sixteen out with my friends running around the city, and police would pull up and they would be like, "Get in. what. <laughs> and um, basically, they would just round up all the Sri Lankan and Filipinos that they saw in the streets. They would take you to jail. And once you were all in jail, they would go through your papers and find out if you were actually still on a legal visa to work there.
0: And is this right? adults or children or b- everything?
1: It's adults. Oh, but wow. the thing is, like, as a 16-year-old, they don't really know. You know, A lot of 16-year-olds can look like you're
0: 18, right? Sure.
1: Yeah. So um, what happened was I had an like an American embassy badge that basically just gave me access to the U.S. embassy in Jordan. Um, and I was carried around with me. Everywhere I went, just in case that would happen again. So I could always say, like, actually, I'm an American. But, of course, it feels really shitty to say, hey, if I am American, but I'm standing next to this guy that is looks exactly like me, but he just has a different passport, and therefore he's going to be forced into this police car and be taken away. I mean, can you imagine, like, as a 16-year-old, what that does to your self-image, right?
0: Yeah, because you're stand- you're with your friends, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's four of you, and then you're like, I'm an American. They're like, okay, you're fine. The three of you come with us, and then your friends are staring at you like, oh, you think you're better than us. That could really screw everyone up.
1: Right, well, and actually, I want to clarify, like, I was the only Sri Lankan guy in our international group of friends. So it wasn't my friends, it was just other people on the street oh, okay. who were adults, who were workers. So it was just, uh, that part of Jordan was not, was not optimal you know my sister and i have talked very uh, at length about like what it did to the way you saw yourself you know like you couldn't possibly be an attractive person in this world or someone of value because everyone talked very disparagingly about their health um and so we both left that country you know we both graduated high school from jordan oh. and left to the united states and both said the same thing which i think is hilarious the first time people were like, so where are you from? And you'd be like, I was adopted from Sri Lanka. Or she would say, I was adopted from the Philippines. And some people being like, oh, like I think you're like, you're sexy. Or like whatever they would say. some compliment. Oh, I see what you're saying. And you're feeling like, like, really? Like that, what? Like that's not, that's never happened. Because you were so programmed to think that you couldn't be an attractive person to someone. I don't know. We've had a long conversation about it. She feels the same way though.
0: Well, I'm so fascinated with, the idea that they're they're treating these people, the Sri Lankans and Filipinos, they're treating them so poorly right in front of their face. They're, they don't try to hide it, you know? And the fact that the queen to this day is coming out and she's talking about, um, you know, just bringing people together and, but she's ignoring the fact that people that live in the country are treated like shit.
1: Right. Well, you it's know, not so different from how the United States, like, exactly. you know, people don't want to recognize that black people are living in like a very different world in
0: this country. Well, it, remind, so then, yeah, exactly. it reminded me of today, but it also reminded me of 250 years ago when they're sitting there writing the Constitution saying everyone's equal. Well, dot, 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 maybe not.
1: Yeah, exactly. Man, that's like the revisionist history of this country. Is, exactly. Is you know, my son recently asked me, like, were George Washington and Thomas Jefferson good people? And I was like sit down. Let's talk
0: about <laughs> Let's, it. <You> know? Let's <laughs> go. Well, I would Let's that's so interesting that. that you had that conversation because I was just talking to someone the other day. Oh, we were talking about the show on Netflix thir- the the 13th. Have you watched it about the 13th amendment? Oh my god. It's incredible. Yeah,
1: Jamie, we two nights ago, we sat down and watched it. It was incredible.
0: It, every American in the United States of America, that was contradicted, <laughs> Everybody everybody should watch this show. I've had people send me messages is like, oh my God, I never realized I was a racist and not saying it in a mean way, just saying like, oh my God. And, and I'm like, why are you saying that? And they said, because I didn't take the time to learn this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's, it was so I had a friend send me a message and he said, why didn't we learn this in school? And I said, well, because education has been whitewashed, right? It's been, we've been taught the things that the government, and I'm not getting into conspiracies or anything, but we've been taught, it's a fact, we've been taught what the government wanted us to know about history. Because they're not going to really teach us about, we were really pieces of shit. (laughs) We we were really pieces of shit for centuries. We were pieces of shit to yesterday. They don't want to talk about that. They want to share with you, hey, you know, yeah, we... Let's talk about slavery. Let's not talk about the bad parts. Let's talk about how Abraham Lincoln slave, saved everyone. You know, it, it's that kind of thing. And you yeah. have to, you really have to want to, that's the first thing is you have to want to learn about the history. You have to want
1: to. Right. And right. And it, I mean, in this, in that um, documentary, the thing that was so, the most surprising to me was the privatization of the jail system. Like, you mm, just oh realize God, yeah. how much it, you know, we haven't watched it. That part of it, I don't want to give it anyway. that part of it is just incredible, right?
0: Yeah, well, you watch the show, you watch it, and as you're watching, you're collecting all this information, you're like, holy shit, oh my God. And then at the end, you are you think, wow, all, all these pieces make sense. They make sense to me. They yeah. actually make sense. So, ladies and gentlemen, please watch that show. You're you're doing yourself you you're you're helping the world just by watching this. I truly believe that. I believe if you watch that th- that's the starting of you learning about what's going on in the world. I think if you know anything about the history of the United States, you should not be shocked about what's happening out in the streets right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I'll yeah. leave that cuz I've talked we've talked so much about that. But um that makes me sad. I I didn't realize that, but you know, when Matt's been to China, And, um, one of the things that he reminded, one of the things he told me was, you know, the Chinese are very racist Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And I thought, wow. And then I researched it a little and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting to me. So there's racism, yeah. there's class racism, and class racism isn't a thing. What's the word I'm looking for? You're Classism. The, thank you. You're the one who went to high school in a foreign country. I barely finished. So, um, <laughs> yeah, all over the planet, all over the planet. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, there's racism everywhere.
1: I mean, it, 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 and it's not, we think of racism in the US as like color difference, but it can, you know. It, like in, again, living in the Middle East in Jordan, what, what I know is, like the people who work construction jobs most of the time are Egyptians. So you have Egyptian workers in Jordan and Lebanon and wherever else, and they're the, they're like the construction workers, and because of that, they are relegated to a different level of um, let's say humanity by others, um, and they're talked about in a very disparaging way. So in Arabic, the word Masri Masri means Egyptian, how but it's you, also How like, do you it's spell it's that? Like M A S R I Masri. Masri. Okay. Yeah. It means Egyptian, but it also means it's also a, a um pejorative term. Right? So you could call someone Masri like you're you know, and call them Egyptian is also like you're calling them like, you know, anything that's been used horribly against other people. Oh. And it was just so strange for us coming from you know, the world that we had lived in to, first of all, Egypt's this incredibly rich history. Right. Mm-hmm. And these people are, I find it different people to just be like super beautiful half the time and not half the time, but often.
0: Jeez, and, and, yeah. oh, now your real truth's coming out. You're just like those Jordians. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, and then moving to that country and, and seeing how they were treated and being like, why though they, they, you just like, there's this incredible country with this incredible history that's just to your Southwest. And um, and you guys are like shitting on these people. I, I just <sighs> never, you know, it, yeah. that's right. It happens in every
0: country in different ways. It does. Now, let me ask you this before before we wrap up. Out of all the places you've lived and all the experiences you ha- you've had, what is the one place you've lived that's impacted you the most and that you still feel today as an adult?
2: Hmm.
1: Um, the place that impacted me the most would have been Jordan, because it was such formative years. It had less to do with the country and more to do with the fact that I was like what I was uh, like twelve to eighteen there. And of course, like if anyone thinks about their life from the years of twelve to eighteen, it's all of it, right? It's going through puberty, figuring yourself out a bit more, trying to come to grips with an identity um understanding your sexuality, your relationship to your parents versus your relationship to your friends. Um and then that, you know, the final stretch of graduating from high school. It's just so so formative, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would say because of those those ages, it was Jordan. It was Jordan. Um, And and
0: you lost your mom there. So it's so impactful. Yeah. 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 Now when I was fifteen I I I don't know if I knew I was gay. I, I don't know if I knew. A, I, actually, when I was 16, I knew it because I told someone. So, yeah, 15, 16, I knew I was different. I knew I liked boys. I knew girls' boobies did nothing for me. <laughs> now, were, did you, when you were... <laughs> Why did you love boobies? Well, I was trying to be polite for your dad because I know he's listening after I talked about cocks in a mouth. Oh, there I go again. I just need my mouth washed out with soap. Um, But, you know, I knew in those years that I was different, that I liked boys, that there was something, you know, girl, all my friends were talking about chicks and I liked my friends who were talking about the chicks. Did you experience? (laughs) They're like, I want to bang her, and I'm like, Can I be there? So, um, can I join? Uh, Now, when you're, (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh God, I'm a mess. Now, when you're in Jordan, and not only are you living in this foreign land, you're going through all this stuff, but also your body's probably like, I'm a little different. Did you know you were different? And by different, I mean a homosexual at that point.
1: I I knew that I. I knew that I was interested on some level with guys, yeah, but it wasn't like so definitively clear that it wasn't girls and it was only guys. Okay, I will. Here's the thing that is so important to the story: is you remember that? My, <laughs> of course, you remember my
0: mom was a science education teacher, right? Love, favorite and, thing about her? No, it's not.
1: <laughs> I love that
0: story. You no, know,
1: but you know, growing up in our home, our and I mean from a very young age, like from the age of five or four, all so many of the books in our home were about. Um, anatomy, uh, mm. human sexuality, and there were books for all ages, right? And there were some in my room and some in the living room, and, um, and we would read those books. So they, I can never remember not knowing about sex because it was so, that information was so readily available. And one of the things that my parents said to us very early on was, guys, listen, there's so many different kinds of people out there. If you're gay, if you're straight, if you're bisexual, whatever, we don't care. We just want you to be happy. Like, it's all good. Um, and we just want you to know that. So Aww. I think, yeah, it's beautiful. And it's also very complicating because, complicated, right? Because when you're going through that sort of 12 to 13 stage and your, your body is changing and you're starting to feel, you know, sexual, it, it, it is a situation where if your parents have told you that having feelings for men or boys is wrong, um, you're very clear about, oh my God, I have those feelings and you sort of are able to define them. But if your parents have said it's okay to be gay, okay, straight, bi, whatever, those feelings don't feel wrong, but they're also not defined. So I was kind of like, maybe everyone's just really horny. You know? I was like, honestly, I was like, maybe everyone's just really like, is everyone feeling this way? Um, Does
0: everyone have these books in their house? What's going on? Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Like is everyone just kind
0: of like wanting to have sex with everybody? Yes, so I, yes. I, exactly I, right. ha- yeah, that's that's true. I, I, I
1: had this very strange situation in high school where I let's and when I say dated, I mean very PG dated, like not even for real, but dated um, this girl for a little bit, and then she and I no longer were doing whatever it was that we thought we were doing at such a young age, and then um and then I ended up in a situation with a guy, and in Jordan. In Jordan.
0: Now, could you be killed and, for that there, or are they okay with the gays? No, they're not okay with the gays. Okay. No. All right. That's me.
1: Yeah. And him and I kind of had a, a thing, like a situation that went on for just a little bit, and then that was clearly not continuing. And then one day, we were all out somewhere. I'm, I'm trying so hard not to use their names right now, by the way. i don't, I'm being very calculated about this.
0: Yes. Um, one day, one day, S- protect, protect the guilty. Protect the guilty.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, one day, we're all out um, at this bar. And because we could go to bars there at, in our teenage years, right? It wasn't it's not like here. And um, people were dancing up at the time and drinking, whatever. And I look up, and he and her are making out in this like dark corner of a bar. And I remember looking at them and being so jealous like, oh my God, like, but not really knowing who to be jealous of because oh, I had yeah. sort of been with each of them. Right. So, it was, Oh my gosh, you
0: are. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Just sorry came <laughs> my dad's like, he's, no, he's like this. Garrett needs to be on this podcast more often. I'm finding all this shit out.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's like, what the hell? Um, and <laughs> So um, yeah, you know it's completely time. I did realize it. I did know it. And by the time I was towards my in this, my, uh, my years, there, like right when I graduated from college, my very uh, high school, sorry, high school, my very good friends who I was very close with, I told them like I think I'm bi, and they were like, "That's fine, <laughs> that's cool." Um, And it wasn't until I went to college that I the, you saw what I posted the other day on Father's Day for my for my dad. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I
0: love him, your dad.
1: Yeah. I know. You, yeah, and I yeah, I think it's a great story. Um, can I tell it? Of course. Yeah, please. Yeah.
0: Listen, we have all the time in the world.
1: Okay. So, um, knowing that he was really cool with everything, and I never got a chance to tell my mom that I was gay. Um, That's just because she died, you know, yeah, died. Um, but knowing that he was, the yeah, the first summer after my first year of college, I came to Louisiana with my dad, and my sister, and my brother. We were at lunch with my grandmother And I, I told my sister I said, listen, when we get home I do want to tell dad that I'm gay um, And she was like, okay And I was like, so when we you know, when we pull in Just like, go inside Like I don't want all you guys to, I just want to tell him first And she was like, okay So we got into, we pulled into my grandmother's garage And my sister got out with my brother And my grandma took him inside And I kind of asked my dad to stay behind And what was crazy, Joe Is like, I knew he was so cool with everything But that moment of actually just like saying it's so difficult, right?
2: It's, Oh yeah. It's frightening. Yeah.
1: It's terrifying. And, and if I was scared of the reaction of my hippie liberal parents, I can only imagine for someone whose parents have been like gay people are horrible your whole life. How do you, how do you even do that? You know? So I was sitting there and I said to him, I said, Hey dad, um, I just wanted to tell you something. And he was like, you know, he was looking at me in the rear view mirror because he was up in the driver's seat. And he said, said, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you need to tell me? And I said, I, you know, since I've gone to college, I just realized that I'm not like into girls, I'm into guys. And he, he was just so silent. Like, he didn't say anything. And I was like, fuck. Like, that fear, that fear of like, he's going to hate me or something. I don't know. It, it came from such an irrational place because so that's not who he is. And I know that. I mean, I've I met his gay friends growing up. Um, and then he just, you know, looked at me and he said, garen i some of the best people i've met in this world are gay and i just want you to be safe and i want you to be happy and i just thought like that's who that guy is you know that's who steve white is and i'm i think you would agree that so few guys have that story right
0: right oh absolutely well just and people don't know that just the fear when you told when you were standing there like i knew he would be okay with it but i'm you're so afraid of the rejection and you hear so many stories bad stories it's so hard not to think something bad's about to happen
1: yeah Yeah. exactly it's sort of ingrained maybe you know absolutely Um, yeah yeah so yeah that was a nice moment and he's an exceptional father and grandfather he married
0: us he you know your dad married you guys oh come on is do you think he's (laughs) bi because i i could use a second husband he lives in Italy. He's probably like, this guy's crazy, Um, but I'm also glad, and that's a lovely, that's a lovely story. And we know we live in a world right now where there's kids, there's teenagers who grow up with parents who are homophobic, racist. They, you know, my mom, my, my own mom was like, I'll kill you if you're a faggot. Or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on, like ta- we talked about it in the last episode where we would drive by that gay bar in Hartford when I was like eight and she would oh, right. say, you know, oh, look at all those fucking queers over there. And so at eight years old, I knew I was kind of different, but I couldn't, of course you can't label it, but, or I couldn't label it at the time, but I can remember thinking, okay, I don't know what that means, but those two guys that are standing outside together that look like they're in a porn are... <laughs> wrong right and right. so the gift just the you know people don't realize just the gift of accepting your child is so important for yeah. for being who they are i've read stories where parents have kicked their kids out and said i'd rather you be a murderer you would yeah, rather sure. me you would rather your child kill someone than be a normally functioning homosexual just just it's just that you like guys that's insane. Right. That is so yeah. insane. So again, kudos to your dad, but you also brought up something that has, has been on my mind since we started talking about this is you never told your mom that you were gay because she passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has but that I also, played into your world as, as, as a growing adult? So what
1: a great question. I, I, I I want to tell you one thing about her. One day, this happened one time exactly. She and I were, um, I was home, like, sort of sick. Not that sick, probably pretending, from school. And she and I were driving around. This was in Jordan. And we were laughing. We were just, like, normal, like, having a conversation laughing. And she said, you know what, Karen? I wanted to tell you that when I was in college, me and Miss Connie, my friend, her best friend growing up from Miss Connie, you know, we used to go out to the gay bars on the weekends because the guys there are always the most handsome. And I, I just sort of listened, but I thought, oh, I said, yeah, yeah. And that was it. But I still, when looking back on that moment, she died within a year oh. after that conversation. But looking at that, back at that moment, I just remember, now I think, I think she was trying to tell me, like, it's okay if you are. Like, it's like it's okay to come out, you know? Because right. I don't oh. really see why she would have said that in any other way, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and how old were you when that happened? Like 14. Okay. That yeah, was right oh, first like dad. Was before right okay. she died. Yeah. Um, and so I think of that as like maybe I think she knew. Um, and I think moms often know if they're paying attention, or like ho- hopefully dads pay attention too in this generation and just yeah. know your kid, you know? But how does, how, your question was, how has it changed me that I never was able to tell her? What, what it is, is I see a lot of guys my husband's an example with his mother who has such a close relationship um i'm lucky to have that with my dad but i see a lot of gay guys who have that with their mom and i wish i had it you know and when i see it it's like i think of all the places i could have taken her with the the conversations that we would have maybe had around these issues and like i said i do have those conversations and i have taken my dad to those places Mm -hmm. so it's really amazing that way but but yeah, specifically with her, I would have loved to. I would love to have her in my life in that way. And then, especially now being a grandparent, like, I would have loved for her to have seen her choice to leave Texas and Louisiana and travel to Africa in the 70s paved the way for a world um, and a trajectory of her family that she could have never imagined. I'm sure. In 1989, when she was holding my hand and landing in South Africa for the first time, she could have never imagined that 28, almost 30 years later, that I would come back with my husband and adopt our son, our second son, from that same country. So it's just like what she created allowed for what has happened, and um, I wish I could have come out to her, but it wasn't like in the cards. I guess you know, it
0: wasn't it? Wasn't there? Um,
1: yeah, I, w- I wish I had though.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Um, you know, I'm just I'm sitting here and I'm listening to your words, and I'm letting them soak into my cells. I'm 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 trying to be in that moment of you in the car with your mom and her telling you the story. She was telling you she knew.
1: Yeah, she was telling. I mean, that's the only way to read that. It's not like we were talking about anything remotely um, right.
0: similar. Right. You know, you're saying like, yeah. I know. It was kind of the thing like. Gay guys are hot, and you'll one day tell me that you agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, gay, you're she's fine. like, you're, gay guys are hot. You'll thank me later for saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: But, you know, I make yeah. a joke about it, but I want to really tell you that I am sorry that you haven't had your mom to um, fuck her. Um, that, you, <laughs> that you didn't have your mom to. she's just sounds like such a wonderful human. And um, I'm really sad. You didn't get to spend, you didn't get to show her what an amazing person you've turned out to be. But I'm glad that you have your dad because he sounds really amazing too. And um, did you ever ask him, oh God, this is what happens when you had fucked up parents and you talk to people who had loving parents. It really fucks with you. But um, did you ever ask your dad, like, did you know, did you know I was gay? Because so many parents say like, crying you fucker um there's so many parents that say oh i knew oh i knew i was just waiting for you to tell me did do you think he had an idea i mean he's alive you could ask him i have
1: he oh. said no really? um yeah he said he did know. and but he i don't know it's like he i don't think he thought about those things so much whereas i'm sure my mom did um you know there was this I'll end this up like I'm funny though like there was a guy that 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 person that guy that we had like this whatever situation in high school with um he would come over and he was um god I'm trying so hard not to leave give the imprint basically he was an athlete let's say that he was a, he was a well-known athlete at the school oh okay. and um and because of um that my dad kind of knew about him and um I really liked him he was a very nice person and um you <laughs> know you know, my dad would always like be like. Let's say his name was Joe. I'm just going to say Joe. Oh, that's he like, okay. Hey, when's
0: Joe? Most Joes no, are hot. So that's okay.
1: <laughs> I said he was like, "Hey, when's Joe coming over again?" I was like, "Tonight, actually." And he was like, "That's awesome. Cool. I love him. Great." So you know, he would come over, and that was the guy that you know him and I were were, were just sort of together, and um, and uh, he never knew that my dad never knew that. And many years later, in um, I was sitting in D.C. and we were at a diner. It was me, and my sister and we were talking about jordan and i said dad really that guy joe that used to come over and hang out he was like yeah i was like you know we were like kind of thing for a while there there's like a there's something going on between us and he was like just completely floored and i said listen this is why you have to know your kids because everyone's like if i had asked for a girl to speak over it would have been like no way
0: all right
1: <laughs> but like <laughs> the, <laughs> but like the you know the guy on the you know soccer, baseball, basketball team there. No one knows which one he was on. Um, Basketball team there. We know Um, what team he was
0: on that day.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was coming over regularly and my dad just had no clue, you know? So it's a good uh, lesson like know your kids. Some of them aren't trying to sleep with girls, you know?
0: Right, because you're right. It's like, if you would have been like, can I have Susie come over? Hell no. Can I have Joe come over? Yeah, sure. And you're like, ha ha, Uh, I am treacherous. Right. But, you know, gays will do anything for Dick. (laughs) I had to, okay, I had to wrap it up with a laugh because I think you made me cry on your last episode, too. I did. I'm just, I think, I mean. What what is wrong with you? What is wrong with me? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Thank you for being so, you know, considerate, compassionate about everything. I always say, Joe, I always say, like, it has been a horrible thing for our family. But growing up in these countries as well, I have seen situations in which entire you know villages are wiped out because of um genocide or there's there's situations where entire families die or you're the only survivor of your family um or people are so poor that they don't ever live with their family they send their kid away to live with their grandparent, and they go and work in another country to provide for you know many ways we were so lucky and i i my mom was incredible i will always miss her as most people probably do miss their parents but it, it, it was one person in our family at the same time, you know, we didn't lose everyone and we and so much good has come through all of us. And I just always think of that. Like, I think she would have wanted for all of us to continue forward to continue this lived experience of international kind of life. And I'm just grateful that I got the chance to do all this.
0: Absolutely. She, um, She started you on your path. It was like, imagine just, you know, being Dorothy and landing in Oz and you start walking down the yellow brick road. She didn't go all the way with you to Oz, but you've gotten there and you have this incredible family and your life is rich with love and your dad's around and your sister and your brother. And I just, you know, if I don't believe in heaven, but I do believe somewhere that she knows that you guys are all doing fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate
0: that. I'm dedicating this to Nikki Wade this episode because we talk so much about her. And even after almost 20 years of her passing, we're learning from her experiences. Mm -hmm.
2: That is why
0: you and I need to consider writing together because I have to be involved in this because I'm so fucking nosy. (laughs) <laughs> Either a screenplay of your life, a, a, a memoir of your life, or but really heavy into your mom and your dad's experiences. And I really just want a reason to go to Italy so I can interview him.
1: <laughs> well, let me tell you, if you and like, were like, Steve, can I come hang out? He would be, he is such a good host, and he would be so happy to have you. And he, he loves the games. He, he likes the lo- guys. Awesome. He does love the games. He he's loves like, the they're games. amazing guys, and like, yeah, he's so happy.
0: But no, I'm I, I'm serious though. I think that um, your story is worthy of being written, and um, enter enter you know also enter what's the word I'm looking for? Because I write books, but I can't find the perfect word. Um, <laughs> intertwined with your mom's life I just think it's an incredible story that needs to be told so maybe one day you'll write it maybe one day you'll hire me to write it I don't know I would do that
1: <laughs> well but, you've given me like this sort of you know platform to, to share these stories and who knows maybe something comes of that in that way I, I am interested in writing about it um and if anything going back to what maybe the very first thing you said to me when we started this episode with you read me that quote of that guy that said he was really i don't know inspired or like really loved the story and you know i would if if people are that are very interested i'm happy to share it because i think i think it is a unique life experience you know it's not it's not sort of everyday that you find yourself in these situations um, it's not and, no yeah, and i've learned a lot from
0: well i think you know, a lot of people don't get to have experiences that are life-changing. A lot of people, and I'm not going to name states, Mississippi, but a lot of people just, <laughs> just kidding, but a lot of people don't, they they don't even leave the town they were, they were born in. Mm-hmm. They've never left the state. There's some people that have never left the country. So your story is one that not only is cathartic for you, but also will educate Millions of other people, and I know that sounds like oh, Joe, but I'm not shitting you. I'm 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 for real. <laughs> so always consider that your story is incredible, your family's incredible, and people will learn from you. So just always remember that if you say oh, nobody cares, yes, they do. So that's how, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say about that. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Let's let's play a quick round of Let's Get Grounded. We've played this before. Your answer was you'd sit next to Angelina Jolie on a flight and talk about that you love babies from Africa. But so today you're not going to get that option. So okay. American Airlines, Southwest, Alaska, Frontier or Delta.
1: Let's go with Delta.
0: Okay. Oh god. Pick another one. No. Um <laughs> If you are, this is not a, this is a, okay. I'm going to ask you the question, but it's not even going to matter because you've been everywhere. If you were offered a free vacation anywhere in the world, where is the one destination you would never want to visit? It's that question that I brought up earlier on. So if I was going to send you on a all expense paid trip to anywhere in the world, where would you not want to go? Oh man. And you've um, been everywhere, so this is gonna be a good my, answer. Actually this will be a good answer. Oh man. Um
1: oh my god, Joe, this question. It's like if I okay, I guess if you're gonna the place that I would not wanna go. Um
0: I love stumping people. God, yo, this sucks it's, that, it's that twist because everyone's always like, "Oh, where do I want to go?" No, no, no. Where would you not want to go? Matt thought of this question, so you could curse him out. I'll blame Matt. Yeah, blame him.
1: Um, I I, I want to be candid and say I don't have an answer. Like I, I've always said, like there's so many because I just feel like I would want to go almost anywhere, especially if someone was sending me. Um, You'd,
0: would you want to go to North Korea?
1: Yeah, I would if I could be there in a safe. In a, in a sort of a safe situation where that allowed me to, to, to see it. What are you going go like... to <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> go in a uh, bubble?
0: Because you're not know going to be safe there. I guess
1: like oh dude, I feel so bad. I feel like I should have like a perfect answer. I just no, don't. just what's um, the first
0: thing that comes to your mind? The first thing that comes to your mind?
1: Like Saudi Arabia. Barrett, Honestly, there you go. Saudi That's Arabia. a country. Yeah, yeah because I, I think like I'm just that's a. Their, their human, yeah, their, their human rights violations are atrocious. Oh, atrocious! And, yeah. um, and uh, the United States is such a political player with Saudi Arabia, but it's like the U.S. likes to assert that they are so uh, for human rights everywhere, except where they do like some of their biggest business with Saudi Arabia, and they com- because it's such a, a profitable relationship, they completely overlook all of the sort of abuses um, that go on in that country, and that's sort of disgusts me I feel like I'm ending all this on a negative note. No, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'll ask you another question.
0: No, you know what? That what you just said—that it reminds me of. Always bringing it back to the United States. It reminds me of before the Civil War. The North didn't have slaves, but you know they sure did buy a lot of shit from the South. Right. Exactly. So they were walking around saying, "Oh, we don't have slaves. Slavery is illegal here. But we're buying all. Where are you buying that shit that you're making your shirts out of?
1: Right. And yeah, so, yeah, off the back of people in the South. Exactly.
0: exactly. And I, you know, so, exactly. yeah. So that's what, when you said that, that but that's a great, I wouldn't want to go there either. Cause I think they, ki- I don't want to go anywhere where they kill homosexuals. Yeah. They're
1: not down with the gays. Saudi Arabia is categorically not down with the gays. Joe. Yeah.
0: I think like some of those countries, they'll execute you if you're a homosexual. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my God. Jesus. All right. Yeah. We left this conversation on a very, very, You've, been, listen, that like, listen. you've burped you've made me cry oh, we had technical difficulties but it was an amazing amazing conversation and i knew it would be so thank you so much for coming on the show garen you are fantastic and i appreciate you being so candid and honest about your mom and your dad and your life because people need to hear this
1: thank you so much for having me back on i really appreciate it and um yeah man you 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 like when you asked i was you know, I felt like, I don't know, is there more to tell? But then I, then after thinking about it, I feel like we, we covered a lot. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much.
0: Yes. Two hours and 17 minutes. See, you're <laughs> like, what are we going to talk about? Trust me. I'll throw a few <laughs> dick jokes around and then we're going to talk about your family. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. You take care and be safe. And I will talk to you soon, sir. Thank you so much. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thank Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.